the rim of Mount Yasur. Every day it spews tons of hot molten rock high into the atmosphere. The locals believe this to be the final resting place for spirits of the dead. This is a nation with a living culture of tribalism, sorcery and voodoo. This is Vanuatu. Just three hours by plane from Australia, but in many ways a world within a world. It's a country of uninhabited islands, dense jungles and unspoilt beaches. And it's here that 12 Australian celebrities are about to be marooned with nothing but one change of clothes and one personal item. Used to red carpets and classy hotels, these celebrities are in for the shock of their lives. Amongst the girls are CoverGirl and men's mag model Imogen Bailey. Kim Johnson from Dancing with the Stars. White Witch Fiona Horn. Royal Bridesmaid Amber Petty. And Bobby from Home and Away, actor Nicole Dixon. Among the guys are Iron Man champion Guy Leach. 500cc motorcycle world champion Wayne Gardner. One Nation co-founder, politician David Oldfield and former Wallabies vice-captain Elton Flatley. Each celebrity gets to donate $5,000 to charity, but the winner will donate $100,000. None of them realise how tough it will be. They think it'll be a soft survivor with tents and food, and it'll be some kind of celebrity camping holiday. They're wrong, and very soon they'll know it. They'll be battling the elements, and they'll be battling each other. They must learn to live with each other or be voted off the tribe. In the end, only one will remain to claim the $100,000 charity prize. 25 days, 12 celebrities, one survivor. Welcome to Australian Survivor Archives, the only podcast going over the complete history of Australian Survivor from Whaler's Way through to the current day. We are on Season 2, Celebrity Survivor, and we are here to get into our first episode recap, the very first episode of Celebrity Survivor from Channel 7, the happiest network to ever be a network And boy, oh boy, wowee, we are excited to get into this. This episode first aired on the 17th of August, 2006. It is called Episode 1. I believe these did not have episode titles, so unfortunately, we are just going to call this one Episode 1. And boy, what an episode it is when it comes to being called Episode 1. It lives up to its hype because it's the first episode. My name is Ben Waterworth, a.k.a. a dirty model chick who's also quite useless. 
Recap number one, Ben. I'm, uh, it's great to be here. Hello, all. Uh, as you know, my name's Matt Dyson. And, uh, mate, I wouldn't have missed this for the world. Like, shit's getting real on ASA when we're recapping the first episode or the, yeah, the first episode of each season. It's, it's the place to be. Unfortunately, Cable was going to be on today. He's had to pull out at the last second. So no doubt we'll get him on at some time throughout the season to hear all about his love of this season. But uh, Ben, we've got a lot to talk about. A fair bit happens in this episode. It does. It does. It's unfortunate about Cable. We've had to unplug him. And uh, there's a joke that he probably never has heard in his life. His podcast is called Cable Unplugged. Download and listen to it. But we are here. We'll get him on, as you said. But no, a lot to unpack. This is exciting. You mentioned it. It's kind of always very exciting when you have the very first episode because it sets the bar. It sets what we're about to talk about. And we, we discover that in the first season. Plenty to unpack. This one's a little bit different. I think we're going to be a little bit more positive over some good things that happen in this episode because this might be the uh, the best first episode of any Australian Survivor season up until 2006 at least. So uh, not a lot to choose from as we know, but nothing really fucks up in this episode, I believe, Matt Dyson, unless maybe you're Kim Johnson. She maybe <laughs> realised about five minutes into this that perhaps this wasn't for her. But we're going to talk about that and plenty more in this episode. Yeah, absolutely we're going to talk about it because it's sort of the ending sort of does abruptly go to Tribal Council and we now know after listening to David Mason what really went down with Kim Johnson. But uh, we'll talk about that later. But you're right, Ben, look, we know season one had a had a bad first episode which kind of, kind of tarnished the whole season. So it is good to see that this episode, look, you're right, nothing really went wrong. There's a a little twist in there as well with another competitor joining in. Um, so, look, it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of hours. And I think as we established in our first episode with David last week, this is a very tightly packaged season. It's the shorter season of Australian Survivor. But I mentioned the first episode, it's kind of a bridging season. Like it really captivates uh, all the old school elements and new school elements and it transitions us from the Channel 9 version into the Channel 10 version. I think it really shows in this first episode. We'll get into the introduction. You heard the introduction at the beginning there. But, I mean, that that is very fresh, very US version-y kind of feel to it. And and I would say done in a way that is not as overbearing as, say, the, some of the Channel 10 ones. I mean, the All-Stars one, I think, went for 10 minutes, the introduction. <laughs> this is Dico. I'm jumping ahead. But this, this episode really does, I think, kind of give you that vibe and feel of of what this season will be like in terms of the editing and, and the feel and the vibe of this celebrity version. I love this intro. I mean, it, it's, I've said it, that it's it's the greatest intro in Australian Survivor history. I will say this, though, that I went and it's been a while since I've watched the, the Vanuatu American season and I went back yesterday and just watched the the, the opening of that of that season, of that episode, and man, don't, don't, doesn't Jeff Probes just know how to do it the best it can possibly be? Like, we're talking about how good this intro is. And, of course, the Americans, Jeff, they almost do the exact same intro. It's, you know, he's up on top of Mount Yasser. You know, they've got the boat coming in with the content. It's, it's almost identical. But, man, like, they just take it to epic height. So, like, we know we it's hard to compare it with the US version because, man, like, money's no problem with him. That's no, So... You know, it's never going to be to that. But once again, look, David Mason and the crew, they've done an incredible job to, to give us this, this intro for, you know, the celebrity version. 
And I think what's really good about us airing that interview with David last week instead of saving it to the end like we did with Stephen Peters is that we can kind of go into this now with that knowledge rather than we had that knowledge in the first season, but we sort of had to hide it from you, the listeners, because we wanted to save that towards the end. But things like he mentioned about how he really wanted to make sure it felt like the US one and, and oversaw editing and things like that, it really does show and particularly in this introduction which we'll get to in just a moment just a couple of little housekeeping things i guess before we get into the episode matt you did a bit of research throughout the week sort of uh we talked in the very first episode about this real trend in 2006 of this world we lived in that was the celebrity reality tv phenomenon phenomenon i can't even say that word phenomenon um, and it wasn't just a Channel 7 thing. We talked about Channel 7 doing it, but you found some gems that were happening over on our uh, X now. Our, we, can, we can call them our X, Channel 9. We're, we've moved on to Channel 7 now uh, because they were, they were doing the celebrity thing quite big in 2006 as well. Yeah, you're right. I was trying to just get that feeling of what was going on in, in TV and especially, especially reality TV around this period of time and just doing some research. And I, I actually remember, I never watched any of these shows, but I do remember them getting advertised at the time. This is like, you know, 16, 15 years ago. Um, but I came across Channel 9. Channel 9 were going hard, can I just say. They, they were going real hard. They had a celebrity circus show, uh, reality show in 2005. It aired in May 2005. Uh, that was a Channel 9 network. And uh, I, I don't really know much about what it was. It says it showed uh, took celebrities with the help of Silver Circus, trained them into circus acts. So- I vaguely remember it. It was just basically like, hey, let's get a celebrity up on the trapeze and, and yes. things like that. Yeah. It says in the final show, the celebrities performed in front of a live crowd and showcased what they had learned. Uh, it was a show over five one-hour episodes and hosted by Bud Tindwell. Oh, the legendary Bud. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Bud. Okay. Good old um, Bud. Rest in so peace, yeah, Bud. It had people like Cameron Datto. Like, oh, ha- the why third Datto. Yeah. Why would you not get it at that period of time? Why would you not have at least one Datto on it? L- Lockie and uh, Andrew unavailable, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kimberly Davies. I believe Ooh. she was uh, in Neighbours in the. Uh, Home away, I think. Was it? I uh, yeah, I think she she could have been both. Maybe I know both. she was. I know she was definitely in Neighbours in the uh, mid sort of nineties. Um, one of my favourite home and away stars, Dita Brummer, who oh, has, there's a name yeah. that hasn't been mentioned since 1996. <laughs> I was a big fan. Remember Dita Brummer and an Angel, Shane and Angel, yes, Shane and Angel, yes. But yeah. uh, he went on to do a few things. Uh, he was in one of the um, couple of court appearances for addiction, I believe, as one of his uh, best notable uh, roles after his time on Home and Away. <laughs> he he was in a show called Palace, I think it was. Uh, I remember it was that. about a yeah. hostel. Yeah, the hostel was actually wasn't too bad, yeah. and. Um, and then he went on to be in an underbelly a couple of seasons, I think, he in did. underbelly playing yes. the dirt, the dirty cop, which was, um, yeah, it was, he actually wasn't too bad. And then he's disappeared again. He sort of comes and goes. You I know, think he's in just... jail, probably. <laughs> he, did, he, he did have a few little run-ins with the law, I think, recently. Sorry, Dieter, if you're listening. <laughs> this is another one that's interesting. We had the um, the host of the funniest home video show, Tony Perrin. Now, the reason mm-hmm. I say that's funny because we did talk about this in season one. That funniest home videos was quite big. Huge. In the early 2000s, which is why in season one, um, our good mate Ben Dark hosted that audition special because it had that that Funniest Home Videos theme because that's how big it was. You know, everyone, the family would sit down and watch Funniest Home Videos. So Tony Perrin, she got a run on this circus show. And look, there was a couple of others. There was uh, Kerry Potter's Olympic uh, Beach Volleyball and 
Ricky Lee Coulter, the Australian Idol, who's still ah. like, Ricky Lee's still going hard today. So I'd argue she, she's more famous now than she would have been because I mean she that would have been very fresh off Idol back then. Yes. That was not long after she would have been on it, but she went on to kind of you know create a bit of success for herself. So yeah, that's it's interesting kind of seeing this because we talked about this in the first episode about which celebrities are available, and it's kind of funny looking back on that now. It's similar to this survivor season where you go okay well 15 years later who who has gone on to continue success or i guess even maintain a celebrity status and kind of hearing some of those names uh, unfortunately we don't really hear from Dita much anymore or whichever Datto that was I can't, I don't think we hear much from any of the Dattos anymore they're, the Dattos are Dattos aren't they <laughs> Dattos I'm sure they're around somewhere I'm sure how many yeah, Dattos we- are there uh, is there three there's Lockie I used to like Lockie on um Getaway in the nineties. He was one of my favourite Getaway presenters. There wasn't there wasn't as many Dados as there was Baldwin's. That's right. That's, I think that's there's about five right. Baldwin's in there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but um, another thing too. See, so yeah, I came across and I thought, all right, well, that's one. That's one. I do slightly remember that show. Then I came across in once again, Channel Nine were going hard with the with the reality TV shows with the celebrity shows, should I say? Uh, Torval and Dean's Dancing on Ice. Now this would have been one that you would have been tuning into every week. That. That aired in uh, July 2006. So same period of, as uh, Celebrity Survivor. Which I, I remember because you and I were talking about this off air because it's funny actually because this Channel 9 had done a celebrity skating show the year before. It was called Skating on Thin Ice. And I remember watching that one because they had Reggie on it. And, of course, we talked to David last week about how this really wasn't when they got reality stars as a celebrity, but clearly Reggie came and, and did one. But that failed miserably. I think a lot of that all came down to the fact that a lot of celebrities got injured and they were like, shit, we shouldn't have done this. Imogen Bailey was actually on that version in 2005. So, yeah, they revived it in 2006 and thought, well, how can we get this a bit of street cred? Well, let's get the most famous ice skaters on the planet in the history of ice skating, of course, Torval and Dean. And that, I think, gave it a bit of street cred. And uh, Jamie Jury, I believe, still fresh of being bitter about not hosting Australian Survivor, hosted both seasons. That's when Jamie Jury was a hot commodity in Australia and didn't go over and suck up to Oprah after all those years. So, yeah, it was um, it was interesting. I, I think that it still failed, but I think it did better than the first one. So I think Carl Stefanovic was on it too, wasn't he? Dermot Burton, I'm looking on here. Uh, yeah, so, Jake Wall. You know, well, Lara Lund, Bing- there's a name. Lara Bingle. Now, this was... Oh. This- now, I want to put this into perspective. So, Lara Bingle, that was ju- 2006 is when that the Australian tu- tourism ad, the, um, Where the Bloody Hell Are You, had been released. So, this was full Lara Bingle. Like, this is when she was on the face, basically the face of Australia at that time. So, Lara, B- so sh- Lara Bingle, could we have got her on Celebrity Survivor? Do you remember that rubbish reality TV show she did about five years ago? Was it like being it lasts, Lara Bingle? It was yes, I think it was lasted longer than Rove show, I think. But <laughs> I think uh, everything lasted longer than <laughs> Rove's. Uh, but uh, uh, Lara, I think that was around like 2012 that Lara Bingle was doing her uh, her little show that, that lasted one season. But, yeah, it had Michael Slater... Uh, Jackie Kelly, Gian Rooney. Um, so, yeah, look, I don't know where that sort of fits in as far as, like, the type of celebrities these shows were getting compared to, um, you know, Celebrity Survivor. What do you reckon? Do you reckon, like, looking at that, I mean, yes, they're names that we know, but they're, they're, once again, they're not A-listers, B-listers, 
Yeah. They're, they're not, but I mean, I, I almost would argue that if you were to kind of create a ratio of recognisable names and put them to the public in 2006, you're going to know more of these names on Torval and Dean and, and also the celebrity circus. Because, I mean, just looking at this straight away, Carl Stefanovic, he'd only just started on Today Then, but he was still fairly well-known. Lara Bingle, as you said, was very much the face in Australia at that point. Jules Lund, he's kind of like the Ben Dark of that period, but, I mean, people still knew who he was, like Getaway and everything. He was radio. People still knew him. Michael Slater, legendary Australian cricketer. John Rooney, Olympian. Like, Dermot Burton, I mean, you're, you're not an AFL fan, but you know who Dermot Burton is. So uh, there's 50% of these people you know. Uh, the, the the circus one too. And this is the thing we kind of mentioned with Celebrity Survivor. I mean, I think there are more who are they, who are they, than you would get. But as we talked to David last week, it's a little bit different. Like you, you're pitching this to celebrities to get on TV. Do you want to go live in Vanuatu for 25 days and basically off dregs and look terrible and not, you know, be glamorous like a celebrity? Or do you want to whack on a pair of skates, hang out with Torval and Dean? Yeah, you might get a couple of bumps and bruises, but at the end of the day, you get to go home to a plush hotel in Sydney and enjoy room service. So I think that's where maybe you can sell it slightly better than Survivor, which is a shame because, I mean, Carl Stefanovic on Survivor, wrong network, but I mean, come on, that would be fantastic. Lara Bingle on Survivor. Yes, please. You know what I mean? Get it? Why was she not on Survivor? I'm sure they may have tried, but obviously she was doing Torval and Dean. But uh, um, I'd love to know how much Torval and D- Dean pocketed for this, put their name to it. They, I would say you know, pretty penny. Yeah. If they're putting their name to a reality show, a celebrity reality show, I mean, their their pockets are getting stuffed. Let's just say that. Now, just for the listeners, now I'm sure everyone's still wanting to know. We heard our our outro song last week, "Kiss Kiss" by Holly Valance. None other than Holly Bennett. Great. I'm going to admit something here, Ben. I've been oh. listening to that song all week. Oh, you've been driving <laughs> around in the cruiser in uh, Mean Streets yeah. of Brisbane. <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's become a sickness of mine. It's, <laughs> it's it actually I, I'm realizing I'm starting to be a bit of a sick person. It's actually it's actually hooked me again. And this might sound really bad, but it's on my playlist now. Look, I will say this right now, Matt, Dace, Matt Dyson. I have had Holly Valance sickness since 2005, and I am not afraid to admit it. And I will gladly own that I own a lot of Holly Valance music. So there's no. nothing wrong with that. Welcome to the club. It's fantastic oh, to have you a member. I'm in the club. I'm in the club. But uh, so this is, once again, this is, I want to know, why was Holly Valance not on any of these shows? So listeners, I've done all the research. This was prime Holly Valance. 2006 was prime Holly Valance. She was in two films in America. One, it, when I Googled, it was rated one of the worst. Well, one of these, one of these two were rated the, one of the worst movies of all time. Uh, one was called DOA, Dead or Alive. That's how yep. it's titled. Dead Based on a and, video game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it's like a volleyball and, and video I, game, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Yep. And I went on YouTube and watched a little, tried to like Holly Valance, Dead or Alive, and there was a little clip of terrible acting she's putting on some random english voice or something i don't know it didn't look good um but i've never seen the actual movie but the clip i did see not great then it gets to the the gem the beauty of all dodgy movies national lampoons pledge this with none none other than her making her debut feature film paris hilton oh you know i mean okay Jokes aside, 2006 is peak Paris Hilton. 
So this uh, is like just beyond big Paris Hilton. Absolutely. Not only is it peak Paris Hilton for her making her debut in a feature film, she of course releases her single Stars Are Blind. Which Matt Dyson, if you haven't caught Paris Hilton sickness yet, my man, catch it now because that album is an underrated gem. And I look, I've always said this about Paris Hilton, that no matter what you say about her talents, because let's be honest, she doesn't have much, she at least tried. She became famous for being famous, right? But then she thought like, okay, I'm famous now. I'm going to try and be a singer. I'm going to try and act. She at least tried. Kim Kardashian just gets famous and doesn't do anything. So Paris Hilton up here, Kim Kardashian down here. And fun fact, Paris Hilton apparently is one of the world's most sought after DJs at the moment. And apparently she's bloody good at it. So she's at least made something for herself. Good on you, Paris Hilton. I'm just happy to be talking about Paris Hilton on ASA. I mean, who yeah. would have ever thought? It's who, a long you know, time but, coming. 39 episodes it took Matt Dyson, but here we are. It's been bound to happen eventually. And I've never seen this 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 movie pledge this, and it's, apparently it's one of the worst movies of all time. But if it's got Holly Valance and Paris Hilton in it, which it does, maybe I don't know. Maybe the Oz Network work, should cover it on uh, on a movie review. review. <laughs> I, I, maybe we'll add it to the list. I'm actually looking here too with Holly Valance, and I remember these ads. This was in 2006. Remember when she was the face of 1800 Reverse? Do you remember those ads back in I 2006? Do. Yeah, right. Well, it. It is interesting, like, because it, it is 15 years ago, like, it's interesting looking back and seeing where these celebrities were in it because they all have their peak period, don't they? I mean, yeah. that, some celebrities managed to do it over 20, 30 years, but the majority, especially ones that are just sort of not really famous for too much, they might have been on a, on, a, on a soap show or a few ads like Lara Bingle and stuff. They have a, they have a small window of, of when they cash in. We all know that. Um, so it is interesting, and, and and of course, in that period, that they'll they'll put their name to everything because they they know they've got a two or three year period. Just just get the money while you can and get out. So, um, how good would it be? Should, should David Mason thrown the checkbook at Paris Hilton and got her on Celebrity Survivor? Oh, just, that would have been. Just, a, yeah. I mean, just total checkbook. There you go. You're in. Did Did you ever watch The Simple Life? I mean, <laughs> she could barely live in a Hollywood mansion. I don't know how she would live actually out there. And I, I we heard how much the budget was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they could have afforded Paris Hilton. Maybe now, maybe today, um, but not in 2006, <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, it's 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 fascinating, kind of looking. At, you're right. It's sort of a, it's a nice little time capsule to look back at that period of celebrity, and because again, we, we're still learning about reality TV. And reality TV at this point is is a staple in our televisions. But I mean, it's still at a point where, hey, let's experiment with celebrities. How much can we push the celebrity when it comes to Survivor, putting them on skates, putting them out in a circus? It's, it's, it's fun and it's kind of just that, that uniqueness as a as a regular person. We all want to see these so-called big-wig people who are used to red carpets. I mean, Dicko, we'll get to this intro in a sec, he talks about it. They're used to red carpets and glamorous lives. Like, it is. It's kind of that curiosity of how do these people live maybe like us like us plebs who were just sitting on a couch flicking channels and tuning into bloody channel 7 on a Wednesday night <laughs> now it is it is and, and that's why that's why I wanted to bring bring up where sort of celebrity reality TV was in this period because just to see who was sort of getting involved in these shows what type of celebrities they were getting but uh, look in the end I know we talked about this uh, before but I think they did all right with the cast they've got to, uh, for Celebrity Survivor in the end. 
I will actually correct myself. Thursday night on Channel 7's, not <laughs> Wednesday night, Ben. Come on, get it right. You're, you're meant to be doing a history-based podcast on Australian Survivor. Get the bloody night right. It's, uh, it's exciting to be here for this first episode, Matt, because Channel 7, running Survivor, I uh, we, we played that intro a couple of weeks ago on our show, which I have to say was a bloody good introduction. Shut up, Cable. That's why you're not on this episode, let's be honest. But the the ad there for Channel 7, that, that happiness, that really uplifting Channel 7, because that to me is what I pictured Channel 7 is, this, this over-exuberant happy network where you could go on there, your, your, your dog's died, your, your parents have been brutally murdered, you've got cancer... You've got AIDS, you've got everything wrong with you. And basically, all of a sudden, you're on Channel 7. So you're the happiest in the world because they can find happiness in everything, which really makes me love the introduction to this all the much more because it's not typical Channel 7. I remember on one of the Channel 7 Amazing Race seasons where essentially you've got, I'm going to have the best day of my life playing when you've got happy shots of people. It's like, no, this is bullshit. Turn off. This is crap. Oh, wait, Grand Bowlers on my screen. Turn back on. Here, you've got Dicko on a volcano. <laughs> 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 That's it. That's all it needs to sell you, right? I don't care if this is the happiest network in the world. Dicko is on a volcano. That is, that is a selling point of any selling point right there. And then just when you think it can't get any better, you get Dicko in an outrigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just want a TV show of just dicko in things, like yeah. dicko on a scooter, dicko <laughs> in a shopping trolley, dicko goes to the vet to take his dog. Like, like I would watch it because, like, there's something about dicko doing stuff that like makes me want to watch. And dicko on a volcano, like that should be an album title. Hey, I'm dicko, and this is my new album, Dicko on a Volcano, featuring Holly Valance. Like. Get on it. Like this, this, and we, you said it a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to say it too. This is the best opening of any Australian survivor, hands down. Absolutely. There's no question. Channel 7's version of Survivor has the best opening because this is a, a, a tight, concise, two, three minute introduction clip. It's, it's very Jeff Probstian. Dicko on a volcano, going through everything. They're going to have to fight to survive and vote people out of the tribe. They're used to red carpets and glamour. And you've got the shots of them on the boat. You've got this. You've got a bit of an introduction. And it all ends with Dicko's 25 days, 12 celebrities, one survivor. Like, it's just, it's it's brilliant. It's so good. And I, I can't speak volumes enough. Can, you, can you please just do the whole podcast for the whole season in that dicko bloody voice? Bloody dicko, hello. There's a bloody turd in my toilet. What's going on? <laughs> Between dicko and Elton Flatley, and I think I've got a bit of Guy Leach for you this week as well. Uh, oh. <laughs> just, just, It's just so good. I should have mentioned we're getting into the episode now. We're getting into the episode right now. But, I mean, what else can you say? This, this, this introduction is just brilliant. No, it, it is. It is. I like the fact. I like the fact that they're coming out on the boat too. The contestants are on the boat. They get a good shot of that. Of course, I like that you get all the, the local, you know, the Vanuatuan people sort of coming out in the outriggers. Dicko's on there, and then he meets, you know, he he meets the the, the celebrities, um, the cast members, you know, from the outriggers, and and talks to them from there. I, it's a good little setup. Yeah, and I do. I, I agree with you. It is. It is the best opening. And um, yeah, and of course they start. They int- they introduce all the the, the well, there's only nine. So the, on the boat there's only nine contestants. So they introduce the nine people, and I like that they ask that they talk about um, just a few little housekeeping rules. So 
They mentioned that they're only going to get one change of clothes. They get a wet weather jacket and one item they cannot live without. And then, of course, they asked they asked three of the uh, contestants. Which, yeah, I, and I like this too. And I was going to sort of, one thing I would love to get with all the people we get on the show is to find out what their one item yeah. is. Because obviously we don't, unfortunately, have the, the joy of having a, a hand guide to kind of show that with this. But... It, it is, I like that kind of introduction you said, kind of laying down the ground rules and everything like that on the boat when Dicko's really going through the instruction. And, and this whole notion of having just nine there, because it's actually funny, like in hindsight, watching this now, it's kind of weirdly obvious that there are only nine people there, but he says 12 celebrities. It's not yes. like he doesn't say nine celebrities. So this isn't going to be a shock. So I wonder if many people back then were sort of looking at this going, hang on a minute, there's only nine. Like what's going on here? Because it, it is kind of weird when you realize there's only nine. Well, it is, and and is that the only? I mean, when has that ever happened before? Where you sort of like what one quarter one quarter of your cast isn't even there at the opening? Like it is random, and it's a good point but, you made. A quarter of the cast too. That is very true. Yeah, you know, and then um, yeah, it, it is random. But uh, look, they they manage to make it work. They sort of brush over it without you know, and and in the intro, should I say they mention even in the actual intro of like you know the with the music and all going. It says 12 celebrities, but they, they don't show Ben Wynn in that first opening, but they do show Justin Melvey and uh, Gabriel Richens. So they actually do show him in the original credits opening, mm. uh, but not Ben Wynn. Which it, it is interesting because, again, eagle-eyed people would maybe be looking at that going like, what what's going on with everything? To put that into context, when you said that, that quarter of the cast... Really put that into context. Think about that on the Channel 10 version right now. That's like them starting with 18 people and all of a sudden six people just show up at yeah. some point. Yeah, absolutely. That And that's kind of, that's that's ridiculous to think. But I to go along with this intro, not only is it Dicko on a volcano, um, Dicko really getting pumped up. I just actually really want to quickly touch on Dicko's wardrobe because I feel like we need to keep tabs on Dicko's wardrobe because it's not like Lincoln in his big W shirt that he's just picked up. You know, or like Jeff Probst or, or JLP, you know, always kind of wearing the same style of clothing, right? Dicko, Dicko just doesn't give a shit. Dicko, I think, just rocks up and grabs what's in his suitcase, right? Like here he's in his nice collared shirt on top of the volcano. It's like sort of a, a white number and he's got his sort of khaki pants on. Great. Ten minutes later, we're going to see him in his Ralph Lauren polo with his shorts, right? Later in the episode, he's going to be in his black plaid with his sunnies on. Like Dicko's Dicko. He's, I mean... He just, he's there. He's like, hello, everyone, what are we going to wear today? All right, we're going to bloody wear a thong. I'm going to put me bloody thong on and I'm going to go out there, play up, play fair and play to win. Can I just say one of the greatest moments of this episode is when we see Dicko in his glasses, in his shades. Like, how cool does the bloke look? Sitting there hosting Celebrity Survivor in his shades. Which, let's be honest, I mean, he's just so, the paparazzi are there. Vanuatu loved Dicko. He is like the the Justin Bieber of Vanuatu in 2000. Everywhere Dicko goes, he's followed by the paps. He just, he, he's just sick of the fame there. <laughs> Oh, it's brilliant. But um, so, yeah, they end up, they ask Amber, Elton and Fiona. That's what we see. They ask them about what their personal item is. And I love it. Can I just say I'm a big Amber Petty fan. She is just a great woman. Like, love Amber. Can't wait to talk to her again. Uh, but Dicko asks Amber first, what, what's their, their one item that they cannot live without? And Amber's like, oh, you had to ask me, didn't you? And, of course, her item is mascara. So I... <laughs> I don't know how that's going to help you in Survivor, but uh, good on her. Elton, of course. What do you reckon, Elton? Oh, I think I brought a football, mate. 
I think I've got my footy with me. I'm going to kick my footy with me, mate. Yep, yep, there's my footy. I'm Elton. I'm going to kick it around. I have a feeling he didn't even get a choice in that. It was uh, Elton, if you want to be on a show, you're, you're bringing a football. Um, <laughs> Should have brought like a, like a dead all black skin or something and, and, like that. And do we know it, it probably wouldn't have been a Steeden because that, that's rugby league. It would have had to be in a Gilbert ball. Right. Okay. I just ball. know the word Sharon. So oh, I didn't, yeah. Sharon, get out yeah. of here. Um, and of course, Fiona Horn, what else would she bring? <laughs> she brings a pack of tarot cards. So, you know, um, so... Yeah, I mean, that was standard. So, yeah, so that's we don't know about what the other people brought. We will try to find out for you along the way during these recaps. But, uh, yeah, now, Ben, we see some great moments throughout this season with Dicko and the puppet master himself, David Oldfield. Oh. But it starts from this very moment. Do you know what moment I'm talking about right now? This um, is the very starting point of this The, the big classic- girl moment when he basically yes. calls him a big girl. Yeah, which again, let's be honest, a bit dated. 15 years later, I don't think we're going to get that comment on uh, Australian TV. Okay, this is, no, but this is great. It, David had it coming here. So <laughs> they split the tribe into girls. And Dicko actually says, girls over there, boys over here. So he says girls and boys. Then, of course, uh, David Oldford, he starts to make a step towards where the boys have to go. He, he takes, like, one step. Then he all then he steps back and then stands behind the girls. And, he, and, uh, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then David actually says, oh, I'm really a big girl. <laughs> and Dicko, without even hesitation, says, yeah, we're about to find that out, I'm sure. But get over <laughs> that side. And that is right there where the Dicko... Versus the puppet master in this season, gold begins. I got to say, yeah, Dicko and Dicko versus David is just a season long thing. But Dicko, we talked about Dick Lincoln in the first season. I mean, just, I don't think Dicko's being a dick. This is just kind of Dicko being the everyman that we've talked about because he's just got these personalities. He's just the joker down the pub that you do. He's going to drop some pearlers like this. It, it's weird coming from Lincoln because Lincoln's such a nice guy. And I'm not saying Lincoln doesn't enjoy a drink down at the pub with his mates and dropping a few jokes. I just, to me, Lincoln's kind of like the cool dad figure who you're going to hang out with and just, you know, learn some stories. And it feels odd when he's being a bit of a dick. Dicko is just, like, ha ha, you know, you're used to this type of stuff. So this is great. Like, and we're going to get it later on, basically, with, with Kim. He, he rips shit into Gabrielle at one point in this episode. Like, just, he just doesn't care. But the one thing that I, like, I want to definitely go over, because, like, I'm with you. Amber is just, she gets better and better on every rewatch. David, you know how much we love him. But can we just talk about Dicko on a canoe as well? Like, with the <laughs> chanting. Like, again, going back to how great this intro is, we go from Dicko on a volcano, the great introduction, the great opening theme, and then we have the tribal aspect of kind of the local Vanuatans on these on these canoes, which, again, reminds me very much of the US version. But we didn't see Jeff Probst on a canoe going, hey, hey, here's Dicko on a fucking canoe going, hey, hey, ooh, ooh, ooh. Fucking Dicko just gets into it. I... I, re- I don't know how much we asked this to David about, like, was this Dicko's idea? Like, hey, hello there, David. Let me get in a canoe. I want to bloody join him. Like, I, I can't imagine he's forced to do it. This is just Dicko going for it. So, so good. But, um, yeah, Amber, oh, my God, hilarious. It's so great. Amber's just such a, a hidden gem of Survivor in terms of character. I, I, I want to say that Amber is this season's David Haas. Yes. How, how do you like that comparison yeah. there? Uh, spot on, absolutely spot on. Because yeah, she's 
a similar time frame in terms of episode count, similar screen time, Amber gets a very big edit. Uh, maybe not quite on terms of the gameplay as David, but she's still got some Amber. She's not she's not not playing the game. I mean, she makes arguably one of the biggest moves in this whole season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she she's great. And David just being David, like it's just it's it's hilarious. It's so good. It's it's brilliant. And we should also point out in this whole sequence, Imogen is the uh, the first confessional. She she gives us the first confessional of this season. She does, and I just in that one more dicko moment too. When when they when they basically he tells them, okay, they've got to jump off the jump off the boat and um and get in, which we don't actually see. So maybe they got the ladder. You know, celebrities they they get a few extra little perks. They, so. they didn't. There's even a sequence where fucking dicko helps one of them onto a boat. Yeah, well, Jeff Probst yeah. ain't helping anyone onto a no. boat. <laughs> but I do like that they all start hugging each other and stuff. And he actually says, "Oh, enough of the love fest. You got to go." <laughs> And this, this is where D- Dicko ticks all the boxes. I, I can't believe we've ever been negative against Dicko. Let's be honest. Because, like, again, Lincoln, nice guy, a bit of a dick every now and then, but he's just so nice. JLP's very Lincoln-y, like. JLP's nice, but, like, JLP can get a bit of a hard edge. And But I don't know. I still don't see JLP being a complete hard nut. Dicko kind of has the nicety, but Dicko's also got that probes just about him where he kind of just, oh, enough of that love fest, get going. Like he'll he'll be hard when he has to be. Oh, yeah. It's like it's he kind of I, I'm not I'm not saying Dicko is the best host of Australian Survivor. In no way am I saying that. But Dicko is his own man. Dicko's his own entity. Dicko is his own version of his host. And I can definitely see why some people don't like Dicko as a host because it just doesn't feel that survivory. But I really think I'm at that point now where I just, I just love the quirks and things of Dicko where he can tick all these boxes and bring a different style and go from bloody riding in a canoe with a hey, ho, ho, to enough of that love fest, fuck off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and get out of here, your girl, yeah, talking exactly. to David Oldfield. Exactly. Just, oh. just Dicko being Dicko. But this opening, again... Praising it so much, but even outside of the editing and kind of the feel of it, I love a good season where it's like you're on a boat and get off. Like it would have been a bit better if maybe like you've got 60 seconds to grab what you can, jump in the water. You know, I love those type of intros, but season one, it was a, you're off the bus. Cool. This is where you're going. Here's a map. Bugger off. You know, the channel 10 ones are a variety of things. You were on what a bloody truck and you're the whole episode between, talking about, uh, you know, I'm senior constable Matt Dyson. You're also the one who's famously going, is that Russell? That's Russell. So, you know, that's kind of what you've got. All Stars, I believe the introduction is still going. It's that bloody long. And they're hyping up like three people. Oh, look how good these people are. We get it. They're good players. Get into the game. Whereas this, just it just gels. It's into it. Boom. We're on the beach straight away. So good. I do have to say this, though. That map for them to find the water... I don't know. It it didn't look too complicated. Let me just say this. It, the map looked like Mr. Squiggle had just quickly done something <laughs> up. It was basically a few lines. A cu- it, it didn't take a bloody, uh, you know, a famous bloody traveller to work out where they had to go to get water. It was very, I mean, I, I, it looked like they even just had pulled out a piece of paper out of the book and said, oh, there you go, there's a map. Which... I always wonder in Survivor with those maps. To me, it's more of a show than actual substance. It's kind of like a, hey, guys, you're going to walk back to camp. You know, do we not think that kind of they went cut and then they're on an outrigger and they're just actually zoom, straight to their beach? Well, 
Like, well, they do later on. They try to make out. Uh, look, they would have known exactly where the water would have been. It would have been right next to their bloody their camp in in, in a big barrel. But um, you know, they, they they're trying to sell a product, aren't they? They later on they're looking for the water and they think, oh, is this? And, and Amber actually has a good line. I'll wait till that comes up. But, um, but yeah, I did have a little laugh when I saw those maps. I'm like, oh, that looked like a last minute job where they've just quickly whipped together a, a quick basic map and said, here, here you go, pretend like you've got to find water. But uh, I did think it was rather fitting that Imogen Bailey does get the first confessional too. Look, Imogen Bailey is a great player. One, one of the, if not the greatest player of this season, in my opinion. Um, but it didn't start out all that great for her. And we're going to see that over this episode. She has a rough time this episode and could easily have been the first boot, easily. Uh, ben, I've said this plenty of times to you on this podcast is a thin line between being out first and winning this game. Now I know she doesn't go on to win. She could have easily been the first out and, you know, people like us could have sat here and said, Oh, she's a terrible player when we, and in fact, she's actually not, you know, so she has this confessional. She talks about, she, she makes admissions. She says, I'm not the strongest swimmer. I'm terrified of sharks. I've been sea kayaking once, but she says, you know, so she knows she's not good at all this stuff. But she says, I actually feel safe with these people around me, like with her tribe. So I thought that was a very, you know, a rather fitting opening confessional for this season. You're right. And it's it's very Pia Miranda, isn't it? Where it's mm. kind of, I could be the first, I could be the winner. And again, as you mm. said, ultimately Imogen doesn't win this season. You could argue, had the twist not happened, she probably would have won this season. Mm. David Mason last week said that had it been a final two of her and, and David Oldfield, she probably would have won. So, yeah, it is definitely that that fine line. And, yeah, I agree with you. It's very fitting that she gets that first confessional. And it's kind of interesting too because I'm just imagining people watching this the very first episode not knowing anything that's going to happen. I can imagine Imogen would have gotten under some people's skin because mm. Mallory watched this episode with me and she basically said, oh, people are so whiny in this episode. Like everyone's kind of a bit whiny and... I mean, they kind of are, but I think that's kind of what we want to see. We want to see celebrities complaining and whinging that this is not a camping trip. We're going to get to that about Kim Johnson in just a moment. But it is, and it's a great arc for Imogen because the real difference between this and season one is that where season one you can kind of pinpoint these moments early on with Rob and Shona and, and Katie about how they're going to get to the end. There's not really that in this season. You you would argue it's it's the relationship of... Imogen and Nicole, which is probably the dominant force in this season, but there's not a moment. We don't kind of get that meeting. We don't see it. It kind of just, it develops and halfway through, we know it's a strong pairing. And it's not like season one where we've got the Joel decision where that kind of solidifies this season. Arguably what solidifies this season and decides it is the stupid twist. So kind of, it's it's interesting to kind of watch someone like Imogen, who's going to play such a huge part in this season. And you would assume that kind of these are the building blocks to where she's going to get deep. It's not really shown here as much as we got in season one. It's not, but I think this, this episode, you do start seeing even from episode one, about like who's clicking. Like you see Wayne and Guy over in Kukula. You can tell straight away these two are going to be close. Like they've clicked straight away. Um, yeah, so there, there are throughout this episode, you do sort of start seeing where the friendships is naturally lie. And I've said it before, Ben, like in my season, like day one, you can see straight away who's clicking and who's not. It's it's so obvious. And and if you're not in that click, it's it 
it's quite disturbing because you, you can see it. It's right in front of your eyes. Like people just naturally get drawn to certain people and you're like, oh my God. Like, and you just got it. You're just unlucky if you're in a group of people that happen to you know be a little bit or not the same interest. So it's, it's a luck of the draw. That's what survivors great where you never know who you're going to be with. And it's the luck of the draw. If you can just get a couple of people who have similar interests, it's, it's going to help you in the game of survivors so much, but look, yeah, I mean, Absolutely. Imogen was in trouble at the, at, uh, in this episode. She She's not getting along with Fiona as well. Fiona's a bit more of an outspoken player. We'll, we'll, we'll see that later on in the episode. But Kim, we also see a, a, the start of Kim's demise, I guess, in this episode. She's struggling straight up, Ben. Yeah, it makes sense now after hearing that from David <laughs> last week. I mean, in all fairness, it's kind of not hard. That wasn't a shock hearing it. And it's it's interesting with Kim because I feel... Any Survivor fan who, A, talks about this season like it's a real season, like we are, um, you know, Kim, Kim's an easy one, I think, to dismiss because, you know, you compare Kim and Lucinda, you know, two first boots who voted themselves out, you know, straight away you think, well, they're both quitters, they both didn't want to be there. I, I think they're, they're so vastly different. You know, we heard from Lucinda that that wasn't just a simple case of her wanting to go home. It wasn't that. Whereas Kim... It was. Kim basically got there and was like, shit, what have I signed up for? This is this is not what I was expecting. I want out. And we now know from David that she wanted to quit. She wanted to leave. And basically it was kind of gotten to a point where they sort of talked her into making it seem this way, which I, I, I genuinely feel for Kim. Because, like, as a Survivor fan, as a, as a person who loves this game, uh, as a passionate person about the the history of the show yourself matt you obviously are a first boot and that, that that's ultimately you don't want that like you of course don't go to all that effort to play survivor and get voted out and last only two days in your case so you yourself would have a, a different way of looking at this as well but i think it's different with someone like kim to not talk down on them too much because then this is a different version of survivor you would say you know she's not out there for winning money for herself she's not out there for the love of the game she's out there because it's a it's an appearance on television it's a paycheck it's it's a bit of exposure and say what you will about the game of this of this survivor i i like just just the sincerity in which she says these confessionals you know she you can see it in her eyes you can see just how she's kind of looking around when she's saying like this isn't what i was thinking it was like there are they left us and now we're like, what's going on? Like she obviously sincerely thought there was going to be a tent there. There was going to be like a hotel in the background. So I feel for her. I actually feel for her. And she admits she's never, ever been camping. You see, she gets her socks wet when she gets off, off you know, onto the island. And, and that's a big drama for her. The fact, oh my God, like my socks are wet. Um, and yeah, she's in, she has realized a oh, whole shit. This is not what I thought I signed up for, but you know what? I'll look, and you're right. You can't compare her to Lucinda in season one because that was different. Lucinda, I got no doubt Lucinda could have stayed, but she knew she was going. The vote system was different then about, you know, if, um, past votes, you know, changed, uh, went against you later on in the in, in, in the game. So it's a strategic thing not to vote for anything, one else, because she was, knew she was going anyway. Where this, Kim wanted to go, like you said, we no doubt she wanted to go. And look, as a first boot, you know, it, it is hard to see someone do that because, man, I would have, you know, cut off both my legs to stay in the game, you know, even just for one more day. So to see someone willingly put their hand up and say, I'm out of here is a bit hard to swallow. But at the same time, 
I'd rather her leave and get out of there straight away and let other players continue on because there, there would have been no point in having her stay in the game if she didn't want to be there, was going to be miserable, not do good TV. And, and, and someone that was going to, someone like Imogen, who ends up being a fantastic, great player, ends up going first and we don't get to enjoy that as viewers. Which, when we get to next season, there's a definite moment where I get very frustrated over a certain player who ends up becoming really the first quit in Australian Survivor and the only real quit in Australian Survivor and kind of the, the methodology in keeping him over a certain player in that season. We'll get to that. That's next season. That's a get Ben angry moment when it comes to that. But yeah, and there's just, there's something endearing about Kim. Like, I don't know, like I've, I've sort of taken a few watches, I think, to get to this point, but it's it's not like, you know, she's, she's being a diva or anything like that. It's like Kim genuinely seems like a nice person. She actually seems like a nice person who people Too nice. like. Too nice. Yeah. But people seem to like her as well. Yeah. I can imagine if she was able to kind of suck it up and, and do this, she would have been someone who could have gone very far. Like her and Nicole just seem like genuinely nice human beings that you would want to hang out with and, and get to know. And that's the thing. I, I I don't reckon she's got a bad bone on her body, and and you kind of need to to play this game. And she's she's the first player in this episode to mention. Oh, I don't want to have to vote for anyone. You know, when someone's saying that line, they're in trouble. Like they're struggling in the game. If they're saying straight away, oh, I don't want to have to vote for people, and especially as fans, you're like you just your, your palms in your face, thinking, oh, what 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 are like, you doing? That's there? Yeah. that's the game. You got to vote one out, everyone out, and be the last person standing. So, look. Was Survivor for Kim Johnson? No, it was, yeah, no, it wasn't. But you're like, she's harmless. She is harmless, and it would have been interesting to see if she could have lasted longer and actually toughened it out, and to see if she could have adapted. But I, maybe she realised that was never going to happen. We're kind of like eulogising Kim at the moment, and we haven't even got to her vote out yet. But just while we're on the topic here, because it's something I'll, I'll probably forget to bring up if I don't bring it up now, Kim actually has the. Second most, well, third, I guess you would say, in terms of the fact that our first place is actually a tie. Most confessionals of a first boot in the history of Australian Survivor, nine she gets in this episode, which is is hard to believe. I didn't realize she had that many. But uh, she, so she has the third amount because we have a tie for first. Matt Dyson, I'll give you some brownie points if you can tell me which two Australian Survivor players hold the record for most confessionals by a first boot in their only episode. And it's not you. Sadly. No, it, it'd have to be um, it'd have to be Des and Lucinda, wouldn't it? It is Des and Joan had ten ah, in their yeah. uh, their opening episode. Kim had nine. Uh, you had six. Now you've said you've seen different numbers on different uh, sheets. Yeah, have you? Or? I've always yeah, I've been told six. I've seen at one time I saw five, but who knows? I don't count them. But yeah, apparently six. Six, six. So you're uh, I believe after uh, Kim uh, because then Anastasia had four. Shane had five. And Lucinda only had the one. So she sadly only had the one confessional. While we're on the topic of confessionals, bit of another trivia question for you here, Matthew Dyson. Can you tell me what Mr. Elton Flatley has in common with Lance, Rob, Shona and Craig? Oh, oh shit, Ben. Who knows? Tell me. He... Got zero confessionals in the first episode, just like those four people in the first season. So there you go. Elton's the only one who does not get a confessional in this episode. Even beloved Ben gets a confessional in this episode. Mr. Hi, I'm on Survivor and I'm really good at stuff. Well, I mean, we're we're jumping the gun here, but 
does he does Elton actually get a lot of confessionals throughout the season? 18, I, I, 18 yeah, the whole season. Yeah. Not a so real you look at Amber it, yeah. gets twenty three and she's in two episodes less. Yeah. So yeah. yes. Yeah. But having so. said that, Ben gets two. So <laughs> there, there's a, there's a reason behind that. Other other cool things that I really like in the, in this intro before we get to the the reward challenge. You mentioned before Amber at the water. I'll let you talk a little bit about that. But I, I love kind of her lines there, talking about the tap and the Mount Franklin. Uh, I also love the the beginning of the bromance between Guy and Wayne. Uh, oh, I love so good. I love their moment when they're just uh, talking about stuff, and we get we get Guy Leach the mate. Guy Leach loves to use the word mate. Now, Naomi, last season, she was a fan of the word bloody. Bloody boat, bloody ship, bloody, bloody, bloody. Guy Leach, he's a mate man. He's a mate man. I've written down a quote here. Coconut bean it, mate. Fruits in the forest, mate. Couldn't find anything, mate. Like, just mate, bloody mate, mate, mate. She'll be right, mate. So, uh, we're going through the awards here. So, the David Haas of this season is Amber. Kim Johnson... You know, maybe she's the the Lucinda. I'm gonna go. Kim Johnson's the the. No, I don't want to say the Lance. Nicole's the Lance of this season. The nicest human. We'll we'll come up with some with Kim. But Guy Leach is the most Australian contestant. Just like Naomi was in the first season. I'm giving the the Australian of the season title to Mr. Guy Leach. Mate, bloody mate, 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 mate. You'll bloody be right, mate, mate, mate. <laughs> What I love is when we, we first see Kakula. So we, we hear from Moso, Kim's struggling, Imogen, you know, she's struggling. She's not an outdoorsy person. Next second over, Kakula. David Oldfield, he's he's all business. Oh, There's got the pup. What a man. The puppet master. I'm, t- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that word a lot throughout the season. This guy, is, he's straight in. He, he's Gold. all business. He's a Katie Gold of season yeah. two. Yeah. He wants his shelter up straight. He know, he's there to play survivor. He's he's not there. He's not there to play tiddly wings. I'm telling you. <laughs> I wish he came up with that line as well. It would been great. But Wayne's talking about he's talking about building a double story bungalow, and then they're like, "But Wayne, how are we going to build that?" And he's like, "Oh, it'll be easy. We got the guys here." And he's like, "Yeah, but don't we need some rope and stuff?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah, actually, I never thought of that." So they, they've got big plans, but doesn't quite happen. Um, and then. Amber and Nicole, this I love this. They're looking for the water with this dodgy ass map. This, this map, trust me, it's the dodgiest map you've ever. We'll, we'll try to get a screenshot of it and shot you of it. Love and put it this up on map. Oh, Ben, we got to get a screenshot of it and put it up on our social media. Dodgiest map ever. Anyway, so Amber and Nicole, they're looking for water. They they find a bit of a water hole. It's kind of not as dirty as the one in Africa, the season three America one, like where it's just like elephant shit in there and all that. But, but it's just a, it's just this water stream, right? And Amber. <laughs> She thinks it's because she's like, well, it, it, this must be it. She goes, here I, here we are looking around for Mount Franklin. And uh, you're going to say, you're gonna say a bit more gusto, Matt, because Sam's like, of course, this is a bloody water. Like the way yeah. she kind of says it, like, of course, it's the bloody the, water. Yeah. Of course, it's the water. Here we are looking for Mount Franklin. <laughs> of course, that wasn't the water they were drinking. They had a nice little barrel of Mount Franklin probably yeah. you know, um, back at their camp. But I did like that. I just like that, um, yeah, they're sort of, they have a shot to them looking for the water and all that. But, yeah, it's a nice little a bit of Amber and Nicole. They're bonding. And then, of course, the one and only Justin Melvey arrives. Mr. Melvey, the the man himself, home and away's most eligible bachelor of 1999, I guess. Uh, I can't even remember what year he was on. but I, I still don't know who he is, but anyway. Yeah, I, I, I re- vaguely remember him on Home and Away. Like, I do actually remember him. But, yeah, J- Justin's a – he – I'm going to look forward to talking about him this season because uh, he's just he's a tricky one to get to, Justin, because 
he actually plays a pretty good game. He's got some good strategy, I think. He kind of works his way into many sides. He is very social. He's very liked by people. He's good in challenges. And he's not afraid to kind of bend things to get deep in the game. Now, say what you will about bribing people to say like, hey, I'm going to give you some money if you do this. Like, if it's not in the rules that you can't, you're not breaking any rules. So you kind of can do it, I guess. It might not might be the ethical way of doing it. I don't know. But Matt, you said before, in all seriousness, so this is not me taking the piss out of you. You said you would break both your legs off and do this to stay in the game. Like, would you do things like this, do you think, if it was allowed? Like, hey, like, you know, if, if you're ever in Brisbane, I won't give you a speeding ticket if you keep me in the game or something like that. Well, I can't use my office of power as a police officer. Right, of course just, not. You I, can't. I definitely would could never do that, Ben. But no. if it was in the rules that you could be like, you know, okay, for instance, if I if I knew I was on the chopping block in my season, I knew I was it was either me or Stevie. So if I, and it, so I knew that. So if I was allowed to, I would have gone up to say Heath or Zach or one of the the, the girls or whatever, whoever, and said, look, I, look, I know I'm a good chance of going home tonight, but how about you know I if I get to the end and happen to win, you know, I'll share it or something. If I know I'm going to good chance of going home and you want to stay in the game and it was allowed, you know, of course you would, because it would be yeah. part of the game, but you know, in survivor, it's not part of the game. And I know there was no rules for this. So if there's no rules, good on him. Absolutely. Good on him. I got no problem. I got no problem if there's no rules about it, because that way everyone can be making yeah. deals like that. That's and then you've got point. to work out, well, then you've got to work out, well, who's telling the truth. Cause it's all good saying I'll split the money with you, but then, you know, just say in a real survivor, right. You, you win five, $500,000. And you say to someone, if I get to the end, I'll split it with you, 250000 each. That's all great in saying that when you're out in the island playing a game. But when you actually got the check, you know, check in your hand and, and there's 500000 and it comes to transferring $250,000 to their bank account, are you actually going to do it? Yeah. I say 99% of people aren't going to do it. So, Lance um, Wood. Lance Wood, yeah. <laughs> Nicole Wood. <laughs> yes. Let's be yes. honest. Well, that's, but that's it's, the it's, 1%. But and, and you know what thing. I mean? So yeah. I don't have a problem with it if it's not in the rules and it wasn't in the rules for Celebrity Survivor. And hopefully we will find out more about it. But yeah, like if it can, if it, it can help you stay in the game, well, you know, and why wouldn't you? And that's what I like about Justin because whether you agree with it or not, and clearly you and I agree with it because, again, not the rules, it, it shows a, a desire to win and that kind of shows a hunger that he was taking this game serious enough that he wanted to win. Whether that be for added exposure, if he wants to stay longer in the game to get more screen time, to get more of an appearance fee, who knows? But it, there's there's something about a player. We, we literally have a player in this episode who doesn't want to be there and we just talked about that, to a player who is willing to bribe people to stay in the game. And I, I really hope we do get Justin on the show because I want to know just how much of that was to keep in the game for the fact of winning it. Was it to stay in the game to get more money? What was it? And Justin is, he just seems such like a nice guy as well that there's got to be something around to this. And I don't know, he's he's maybe the most interesting and unique and sort of, I don't want to say strange, that's not the right word, but he might be the hardest Australian Survivor player we will ever have to analyse properly because there's there's layers to Justin Melvey that are not on other Australian Survivor players. And you know what? Maybe we're lucky that we we got so much of him in this season because Imogen Bailey has a confessional here that as soon as when Justin arrives that uh, that the girls had already made a pact. They obviously knew they were going to get another contestant 
And they had made a pact that if it was going to be a guy joining the group, that they had made a pact to say that the, the guy would be voted straight off. Yeah. Um, and of course, most do go to tribal council first. So, you know, Justin Melby could have, could have uh, been gone just as quickly as he arrived. So um, we're actually lucky. He's, you know, he wasn't interesting to watch throughout the season. So I'm actually glad that he did end up getting to stay for, you know, well, until the end. And the important thing to note is he was only one vote away from winning. Only twice in Australian Survivor history have we had a desire, decided by one vote, and he's he's one of them. So, and interestingly enough, both times it's happened, it's been in a all-gendered final two, isn't it? Like one was all female, one was all male. That's interesting as well. One, th- this is one thing that's always intrigued me, and this is this has intrigued me well before I ever became a first boot. I, I it always intrigued me about these players that go early. Um, you know what what the season would have been like and what the season would have turned out like if if other players went first and those players got the you know got to play on the the whole season would have been different we would have seen a different side of those early boots you know um you know so it is interesting and even in this episode to think that the Imogen Bailey and Justin were on the chopping block early and could have been gone and those two players become two of the most dominant players of this season you know this season could have gone in a totally different direction I also love how Kim Johnson is like standing on the beach. Great, great channel. Like this might seem like a standard trope of reality television nowadays, but great typical Channel Seven teasing bullshit here when they go for the commercial of when she's on the beach and she's like, "Oh, it's you," and yeah. you can tell that's the commercial point right there. But I love like Kim Johnson here. It's like it's. Justin and like they know each other because of Dancing with the Stars and just a nice little Kim moment. And on the other side, meanwhile, we get the Pleasure Machine, Gabrielle Richens, which I'll sum it up from the great Wayne Gardner. Oh, I thought it was some ditzy model chick who's going to be useless. So um, yeah, great, oh, great oh. way to introduce the Pleasure Machine. Okay, can I do? There's a couple of things here that that don't hold up. You know, all these that's years later, and that's one of them. And a couple of them, when I'm watching, I'm a bit like, you know, like it doesn't hold up. But look, it's it. I hopefully people watching it now and listening, it, it's it might be bad taste now to say some of that stuff. It was all in good fun back then. I don't I don't think Gabriel Richens took it like she didn't appear to take offense to some of the things that was saying. She you know she was laughing. She always had a big smile on her face. She was kind of playing up the road, and she kind of gives it a little bit back as well. Like so. Yeah. You know, she's enjoying it. Like, it's, it's, these aren't just, it's, it's important to make it clear that, yeah, it is, a, it was a different time back then, but it's also not said in a way that's trying to, you know, hurt her, you know, hurt her. You know, it's sort of, I think it's important we mention that, that it's, it's, it's all joking around between amongst the boys with her and all that. So, and, and even Dicko, because Dicko says a few comments as well, but, um, David, David's at his best here too. Where I'm gonna, I've written this down because as she's coming in on the outrigger, David says, "Oh, you on our team?" And then Gabriel says, I, "I'm not going to use her, you know, English accent." But she says, "Yeah, it wasn't fair. All the boys uh, were on a team, was it?" She says, "You have to have one girl." And then David says, "They couldn't have sent us more girl than you." <laughs> <laughs> Which, which which is great because then also I love that whole section where they're all sleeping at night and they're all kind of she's all like oh so you're all married and like yeah, yeah. Like, oh well, your wife's gonna think of this and you see guy guy Lisa's like oh mate my bloody wife's not gonna bloody like this and, you know just, but that David quote David Oldfield is just I talk about Dicko ticking all the boxes David Oldfield is funny he's smart he's great in challenges believe it or not he's a bloody cook 
Um, just brilliant. David, oh, this man. This is what I like. She hasn't even hit the beach yet. She, her feet haven't even hit the sand, and David Oldfield's already getting it out there that she's a whole lot of woman. Which I got a couple of things before we get to the raw challenge, and I want to give you your first chance this season to hopefully read word for word the uh, the, the tree mail. But I mean, we talked a lot about this with David last week. The twist, kind of this idea. I, I'm I'm not a fan of this, like bringing a person and randomly put them on a tribe, and then it's even odd as well when it's kind of still odd numbers. You know, it's still one tribe's got six, one's got five. I think if you're going to do this, just just have them all there and just kind of mix it up where it's men versus women. Oh, but, uh, you know, plot twist. You're going to have one man on the woman's tribe and one woman's on the man's tribe. That's kind of a cool twist from the beginning. But I don't know. Like, this just feels a little... Because, I mean, do we know how long this was? Was this still day one when all of a sudden Gabrielle shows up and Justin shows up? No, it's definitely day one because then Justin is, starts trying to get the fire going. So... So I think David David Mason touched on it when we asked him why did he do it. He said it was just a bit of fun. It was like, well, all the girls are together. I think they wanted to get all the girls together, and then just for probably a couple of hours, you know, see what how they're going to cope with you know trying to get fire, trying to get shelter, and all that, and then introduce Justin Melby, who was hopefully going to be a bit of the savior, you know, because the girls of you know openly admit, oh geez, well that you know none of them are builders, none of them, you know, they're not. They're struggling to get the fire going. Then Justin starts trying to get the fire going. He's having trouble. They've got a flint and everything. Can't Holy guacamole. He can't yeah. get it started, Matt. Holy guacamole. It, it, it's daytime when he starts and then it gets to nighttime. He's still going, still having no luck. Finally gets it. Finally gets it. But And then, of course, on the other beach in Kakula, all the guys are together, you know, Elton Flatley wanting to kick footballs and, you know. Kick a footy. Bloody Guy Leaks wanting to be everyone's mate. And then, of course, the pleasure machines turns up and that just throws a spanner in the works because David's just obviously got love heart eyes already. He's in a whole nother world. He's just in love with Gabriel Richens, clearly straight up. Um, but I, look, I actually, I know what you're saying, Ben. I actually, for this version, I actually don't mind it, to be honest. Yeah, no, not a fan. But I, I do like I, I love. I mean, they come with flint as well. Like this is the little things you point out here, which throughout this season, which don't help the argument of people who say this isn't a real season of Survivor. We kind of had David, the executive producer, last week going along with that page. I still don't agree, but. When all of a sudden they arrive with Flint, they just basically begin with Flint. We're going to get to this reward challenge in just a moment where literally the first reward of the season is a feast. I mean, this is not how it should work. You should be getting fishing nets yeah. and Flint there. Like, it's kind of, it's it's a bit silly. But um, I, I do also like, one thing I'll say, though, with this whole twist of having one man mixed with women is, you know, here you have Justin Melvey. And they're basically all looking at him straight away like, oh, you're going to make fire. And then even Justin Melvey's like, oh... Suppose I better make fire then. Like Mallory again, watching this with me is like, so why can't the women try? Like, why is it just all up to Justin to do this? Like, it's a bit strange. But I actually, one thing I do love, I'll say about the editing of this episode is, is I absolutely love when they're showing Justin struggling in lighting this. That transitional period where they kind of edit with the sun going down and then all of a sudden it's dark and then they quickly cross back over to the other side where they've already got fire and they're kind of going to it as well so it's 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 cool editing like i really like it it's got that real new school vibe to it and yeah it, it works really really well but we get to the reward challenge matt uh, i hope you've written it down i hope you've kept your one job uh, up to date 
I will. I will. I'll just quickly say too. So it flicks over to day two just after that. And there's just a quick little bit, uh, a quick little bit before we go to the tree mail. And, and once again, Imogen's struggling. She's, she's wakes up. She's the first night on, you know, they just spent their first night on the beach. She's feeling lightheaded. So once again, they're selling that narrative of she's struggling, which she was in that first, first couple of days. And, uh, and then this is where, this is important. This is where I touched on it before. This is where you see Wayne, and guys, friendship really start, and and they're out um, looking for fruits in the in in the forest. And you just and it's important as the as these episodes go on, you really see that friendship form between Guy and Wayne. But which is very dangerous. Treat- so just before you get to the trim, I'll just say that it's uh, that would have been a very dangerous pairing. Like we see it with Imogen oh. and Nicole, arguably the the biggest pairing. But when we get to that episode when that's broken up, that that might be outside of the twist the biggest move of this season. Absolutely. I would compare that duo there. They would have gone, they would have no doubt taken each other to the end. I, I'm sure they would have. I'm going to put that as like a Shona and Rob alliance. That Absolutely. Was made early, it was made early on. And we have two and in this that, season. We have two and one gets yes. broken up and... Yep. Yeah, so yeah, no, absolutely. Ab- which, which again, it's, it's kind of going to be interesting when we get right to the end of the season, when sort of we'll obviously talk a lot about decisions to keep Guy and Justin in the game, which you know kind of backfire on our should have been final three, but um, you know th- there will be some props to Guy there who kind of gets a bit of revenge. I feel from having his own Shona Rob alliance broken up to basically working out a way to break up the other Rob and Shona alliance, kind of get revenge. So it's a very unique season when it comes to these big moves. Now, Ben, can I just say with this tree mail? Yes. It's just a nail. They've just nailed something to the tree, haven't they? <laughs> it, 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 that's it. Like once again, we had the dodgy map. Now we get the tree mail. There's no box or anything there where you're open. <laughs> it's just one piece of paper, a nail and someone's written on it, which we don't actually see normally in season one, you you'd actually, they would take a bit of a shot of the writing. So it was a bit easier to, for me to write everything down. This you don't, you just see him reading it. But anyway, so tree mail, can I just say, I, I with the, with the tree mail and stuff from season one, it, some of it was actually quite good to read out this. I think they, yeah, I don't know how much effort they went to the rhyme of this, but anyway, I'll read it out. For this first challenge, it's a sure bet. You're going to turn around and get wet. It will help if your tribe's got several who are good with a knot. <laughs> now, now this isn't a fight to the death, but get ready to hold your breath. Yeah, no, that's like grade three poetry class. Yeah. When Sorry, I, David Mason, if you listen to this, mate, you put a lot of effort into this season with everything else, but mate, you need to get some better writers for those. Yeah, I um, it was. I think that was a last minute job as well. I think. Um, yeah. And, yeah, some, and just somebody whole... got fired for that, surely. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the, that's the tree mail, Ben, and uh, so it looks like uh, people are getting wet, and um, you might have to hold your breath, which not a lot of people like. You hear a lot of these people complaining about getting wet which is interesting and look let's not beat around the bush when it comes to these challenges this might be the most complete season for challenges in terms of that i don't think there's a dud challenge all season this this season has great challenges i wasn't just saying that to david mason last week to suck up i legitimately believe there's not a dud challenge on this season channel 10 go out of their way to have some epic challenges i'm not saying that the best challenge of all time is on this season far from it channel 10 have some great challenges but I, i think in terms of consistency and maybe it's easier when you've got a 12-episode season versus a 25-episode season that 
consistently these challenges are great. There are on most Channel Ten seasons, there are a bunch of duds mixed with some brilliant challenges. But this is just the start of so many good things to come. And straight away we're into it. We're, we're basically got a challenge where they've got to swim out, untie a knot, get a chest, drag it back to the beach and they've got to get a, is it a tam tam and build it essentially so you've got this mixture of physical versus puzzle i personally am, am sick of puzzles in survivor but this is a different puzzle this is kind of a little bit unique and it kind of exposes a you know imogen is clearly not being a great swimmer she said that at the very beginning of this episode of course that she's not great in the water and it also kind of almost has a, a fantastic comeback as well like kind of this this challenge has it all so so good. We've got Dicko in his element straight away, being an absolute dick to Gabriel. Um, like I, just- I like, I like how he welcomes welcomes everyone to the first challenge, which is great, and then this goes straight into mentioning how fantastic Gabriel looks. And and then completely ripping into her. What does he, what does he say? Like, was she of any use? Oh, don't I'll speak at yeah. once. Like- oh, she, he actually says, "Oh, Kakula, obviously Gab looks fantastic, but was she any use?" <laughs> And then all the this is all the guys. No one says anything. All the guys just kind of look at each other. Yeah. And then of course they all start burst out laughing. And then the look on Gabrielle's face is brilliant. <laughs> Honestly, like it is. She's she's brilliant. Can I just say, like she takes everything on the chin. Like she's just she's great value. She is, and it's it is a funny moment. Just Dick Dicko, but it kind of it fits into his name. But yeah, this challenge is great, and again, editing fantastic. I love kind of seeing them drag it up there. I love like Dicko is like obviously got his little sass there, but you can also tell Dicko's got the Jeff Probst man crush going on here. Like guy leech swimming out there, like he's already bloody leading. And what does he say about Elton Flatley? Like. Elton lifting it like it's got no weight in it at all. Like he's just he, he's got his man crushes going on there. But I mean this this challenge is just it's just great. It's it's maybe not as epic as the season one first challenge, which ultimately failed. But as we talked about, had that not failed visually, everything about the first challenge in season one was fantastic until it failed. This maybe doesn't hold a candle to that in terms of a visual aspect, but it it works. Congratulations, we've got a season. First episode of a season of Australian Survivor where the challenge works, hooray. Uh, but it's just, it's epic. I love it. And the fact that, you know, Kakula nearly lose it straight away after they were dominating, Moso actually nearly win this damn thing. Everything about it's great. I should also mention the reward is a bloody fish feast as well as fishing equipment, which okay, again, so as this I said is, before, a bit silly. But yeah, this, is this where I, challenge is great. Th- yeah, this is where I have a few issues. What the hell are they doing a feast a fish feast straight up. I mean, this yeah. is day two for God's sake. I know it's celebrities, but come on and make it that that's crazy. Um, also too, just like, I know this is a reward challenge, uh, not an immunity challenge, but just like season one for the very first challenge of the season, you actually have a member having to sit out. So obviously because in the season one, David was sick because there was no reward challenge. It was only the immunity. David sat out or well, he, he was sick. So then, um, the queen had to sit out. Different um, circumstances here, though. Different, yeah, no. But I'm just what, what I'm getting at is how often, how often in seasons do in the first challenge do you not get the, every member participating? It doesn't happen too often. Did because Fiji obviously started off with odd numbers, but I don't think. Oh gosh, because they they didn't did they have a reward in Fiji because they they were by themselves for quite some time, weren't they? But uh, I can't remember if they would have. Had that because no. I think no because you had you got no because somebody got sent to exile. Sylvia got sent to exile because they had odd numbers, 
and then basically she joined the tribe whoever got mm. voted out first. So yeah. yeah, that's what happened in Fiji. I'm just making the point that yes, it's funny that in the first two seasons of of you know in, of Survivor in Australia yeah. that yeah that actually not all members participate in the first challenge and. And, um, yeah, and that Amber makes C- you vote for yourself, clearly. That's just the uh, <laughs> the ironic um, little pattern that we had in those first two seasons, right? See, and this is, this is what annoys me that they didn't start with with you know the twelve people because yeah, it, it you kind of want to see everyone participate yeah. in the in the first challenge. Like that's that's the whole point. You want to see who fails, who doesn't. And Amber, you know, she sits out and doesn't even get a, a chance to um to to be a part of it. Which ultimately, though, we will get the um. You can't sit the same person out twice. Uh, rule come into play, which is, which is good. But um, yeah, I mean, just in general thoughts, what do you, what do you think of this challenge, man? Yeah, it's good. I like the fact that everyone has to take their turn in the challenge. So although Imogen struggles in it, so they all have to swim out. Um, yeah, it's they all have to participate in it. So it's not one of these challenges where someone can just sort of sit back. But in saying that. Justin Melvy does double up here in one of the challenges. Which, because- and that goes into what you were talking about before about Imogen sort of really struggling. And again, like it, it is actually kind of, you know, luck always plays a part in Survivor. But let's be honest, if Kim Johnson didn't fall on her own sword here and basically ask to be voted out or ask to quit and basically be told to vote herself out instead, Imogen was gone. Uh, Absolutely. You see from Fiona, Fiona, which we haven't barely even talked about it yet, but, you know, she's clearly against it. And, and, you know, Imogen is, is a nice person. She she clearly is liked. Nicole would have been on her side. Smaller numbers mean that you can probably, you know, whittle people together a little bit better. But, yeah, I, I don't think Amber, uh, Imogen sorry, survived this uh, if it no. wasn't for Kim. And just so listeners know, if you, if you haven't actually seen the episode, so this is a classic, you swim out, you, you dive down, you untie the knot, you know, you've got to go down a metre, a couple of metres, you untie the knot, the chest flip, you know, gets loosened and then you, you drag it back. She can't, she's just, and another thing that made me laugh, you, you obviously had the options to wear the, the goggles if you want. The guys, the guys, they're just running in. They don't, you think Guy Leach is putting on goggles? Come on, please. Nah, mate. The guys, nah, are, mate. Nah, the guys mate. in the Iron Man gym. But all the girls, they're taking the time. They're putting on the goggles and all that. Um, Amber, uh, sorry, not Amber. Amber's sitting out in this. Imogen, she struggles. She's out there. She's trying her best. She can't swim down. Apparently at the start, she mentioned something about she was trying to untie the wrong knot, the knot that was actually like, directly under the chest, not the one that's like down in the water. Um, she shot. Now, I like the fact that did, I'm sure David Mason just made up this rule on the fly that in the end they call her back because they know she's not going to do it. And and no one wants a challenge. We don't want a challenge where one team just absolutely flogs another one simply because one member of the team can't finish it. And, and I'm a big fan of every member having these challenges where every member has got to take their opportunity. But I do like the fact that they quickly obviously changed the rules and let her swim back. And then Justin Melby got to do it twice. So he had to swim out, do it, come back and then swim out. And that's not uncommon. We have seen that in American Survivor and stuff where, you know, if someone can't do a challenge that someone will will have to do it twice. So, um, and it, it does end up making for a good ending of this challenge that, that Kakula nearly stuff it. Like they yeah. nearly blow their massive lead and Moso actually get a shot of winning it, but they don't have it in the order, and then Kakula end up winning it. And I actually genuinely feel for Imogen because I actually feel like I would be like Imogen in that situation where, like, it's not like Imogen's not trying. I think we've all had situations in life where 
you know, we are trying our best to do something which somebody can do quite simply. And it just, you just get to a point where you all of a sudden start getting frustrated because you, you're not kind of thinking clearly. You've got pressure on you. And obviously people handle that in different ways. And I genuinely feel like I would be like Imogen in this situation. It's something which straight away I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a go. You're going to get out there. You know, this seems easy. And then you start getting it. And then all of a sudden you're feeling pressure and everything. It's kind of related, but it's not maybe one of the only times I've ever got to do an actual survivor challenge is when I went to Reality Rally a few years ago and I competed in the amazing race style day where you go around to stations around the small town of Temecula there and Bob Crowley was there and he had actually done a one of the stops was basically survivor challenges so there were five of us on a team we had an extra member I had Dan Foley on my team from Survivor Worlds Apart and basically we all designated ourselves so there was a um, you had to eat something gross there was a balance challenge you had to stand on something uh, I think there was a, a lighter fire challenge and then there was a, a puzzle challenge. I did the puzzle challenge thinking this will be bloody easy, mate. Sure, I'm, I'm on board. It was one of those hanging tree ones where basically you've got these awkward pieces and it was bloody windy. And here I am trying to fit all these pieces in. All three of other people on my team had done it just like that. And then all of a sudden, I'm trying to do this. I'm struggling. Dan Foley's yelling at me going, fuck, come on, Ben. You got Bob Crowley being Jeff Probst going, Ben, struggling here. You can't do this thing. And you got to a point where if you couldn't, finish like if you couldn't do it because it's all for charity you just donate like 20 bucks and you get like a five minute time penalty so i'm just like fuck it i'm costing us here's 20 bucks yeah like is this american money i don't know what it looks like here it is uh, and just like gone <laughs> like, that was pressure like and this is just a, a game on a saturday afternoon in a small town in california i don't have cameras in my face and actual tribe members who can vote me out later on i would have been screwed if that was being voted out that night I'm just picturing you trying to hand over a $20 New Zealand bill and they're like, what the fuck's this? (laughs) And I'll tell you what, can I just say, this is one duo I would love to see you and Dan Foley together playing. What a duo. Dan Foley is a man amongst men. He really is. He uh, How he wasn't a first boot. Like, like, oh, I I, like he, he was fun to watch. I'm glad he wasn't the first boot. But Dan Foley screens first boot. He should be in oh. the first boot club. But um, yeah. I'm glad we're not because we got some gold ben, from Dan across that season. Ben, can I just ask, do I scream first boot? Uh, well, do you want the honest answer? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, look, honestly, like if, I, if I'm being completely serious, I would have assumed Steve would have been a first boot over you. You may be a second or a third boot, possibly. But, um, nah, nah, you, you could have won <laughs> in an alternate reality where you Mate, were good at everyone the game. could win. Well, could they? Could Kim? No, I'm joking. Well, of course, I'll... Kim could have. <laughs> but it's, I mean, yeah, like it's it's interesting with, with Imogen in this scene. I, I genuinely feel for her and everything. Because Imogen's got like a tough episode when it comes to challenges. We'll, we'll get to that. One thing I do love with Dicko as well. I love Dicko when he's checking. Let me see, let me see, let me see. Sorry, that's incorrect. Like, sorry, that's incorrect. (laughs) One thing I will say, and I'm going to bring it up in the immunity challenge as well. One thing I'm a little bit disappointed in Dicko is I just wish there was a bit more enthusiasm from Dicko Mm. when when the tribes win. Like, in this case, Kakula win. And all he says is, correct, you have won. Like, what about, like, you know... You know, just something like Kakula win first reward challenge, uh, Which, you know, and get to feast. Yeah. Like, just something that there's just nothing. Like, and he, he gets better. That, he gets better. Uh, well, and like I said, I, like I've just obviously as these we do these recaps, I'm what I'm watching. You know, so I've just watched episode one yesterday. Um, so I've seen this whole season before, as you know. But I'm going to watch each episode as I do these recaps. So I'm you know really on the ball with this stuff. So I can't remember if he does get better. You say he does. I hope he does. But that's one highlight I really noted 
out of this episode is in the reward and the immunity challenge, there's just no enthusiasm for the team that won. And that's what makes Survivor great. That's what makes Jeff Probe so good is that enthusiasm when, you know, you know, a tribe wins and he, he's, he's just going berserk. He, oh, yeah, and he's talking about it. And they get to feast on a fish and, you know, and Moso, you know, are struggling. Like, you know, just something like just – and but not just correct, you have won. Like, no, 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 no. I've said it before, Matt Dyson. I'll say it again. You want enthusiasm? Watch Survivor New Zealand. Matt Chisholm will blow your little mind. But, yeah, no, you're right. Like, I, I agree. Dicko does get better. It, and it's also coming off the back again. Lincoln, we love you, Lincoln. But, obviously, Lincoln ultimately would just be like, you know, oh, yeah, wins immunity, wins reward. Like, it kind of it wasn't there. So, uh, JLP, the king of Mr. Exuberance when it comes to, to Channel 10. But uh, I, the one thing I brought this up with David, of course, last week as well, because it's kind of obvious that a lot of this commentary is overdubbed uh yes and it's obvious too yeah yeah and and we don't get our play hard play fair play to win and we do get and you pointed out to me on off air and it's kind of noticeable we get the afl goal umpire point of survivors go yeah kind of like a goal there we go yeah i laughed i laughed at him he obviously likes his afl but when i saw that i was like oh you afl guys and girls are gonna love that (laughs) <laughs> we don't have that do weird them. whistle that you guys have. That what yeah. is that whistle? It's just the standard rugby league whistle. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a position called dummy half, though. Come on, <laughs> what is a dummy half? Dummy half. They're they're the number nine. They're the right. number nine. That they they get the ball first when the player rolls on. They're the and they basically decide who they're going to throw it to and which which direction the play is going to go. It's an important position. And are they dummies though? No, no. Some okay. maybe. Dumb. Right. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, so we get a little sort of brief moment here before we get to immunity challenge. It's interesting, actually, this episode you were talking about before how we didn't have the reward challenge in that first episode of season one. This one's kind of reward challenge and then kind of not a lot before we get to straight mm. into the immunity challenge. I mean, we're, we're more than well into halfway in this episode by the time we get to this area. We, we really start to get some peak Fiona Horn all of a sudden. Now, <laughs> Fiona's a, a real enigma. She's um, she she would be the closest thing you have to a villain this season. I mean, Justin Melville, you might argue, is a villain. Depends again on how you take what he does in this season. But Fiona is definitely the the archetype of the short stay in Survivor who lasts a couple of episodes and I think everybody's glad to see go. And that's not me saying I personally don't like Fiona. Fiona's just interesting. Like, I don't know how I feel about her because I can imagine that she would be as annoying as hell to live with and play with, but my God, she brings some great content to our screens. Ben Waterworth, Fiona's one of the stars of this season, my friend. (laughs) She's real. Fiona Horn is brilliant on this season and I would have loved to have watched her all the way to the end. Like she's gold because she admits it then. Like she openly speaks up. She's not scared to speak up. And that's what you want to watch as a Survivor fan, isn't it? Like you want to, well, you want to yeah. see. Pe- that's why I say like, she's great to watch. Like as a fan, absolutely. But like, I'm kind of, I think I'm like watching a lot of this through Imogen's eyes because I'm really just, I fall in love with her every single time I watch this, so even more. I love Imogen to bits. But like there's this moment here where Fiona's literally like going like, oh, get your shoes out of the shelter and do this. And, <laughs> and Imogen's just like, uh-huh. And she kind of tells that little turn to the side and gives like a salute. It's a salute. Um, <laughs> okay. so good. This, I love this whole little period here. So, of course, Imogen stuffed up at the challenge. She, she couldn't, you know, we know she couldn't untie the knot, which ultimately helps most I lose now 
whenever someone stuffs up something in Survivor, they come back, then they've got to do the explain game and, and you know, explain why they... And, and this is what I love. So she's got everyone around. She's got the girls around. And Imogen, you know, she actually has a confessional where she, she admits she feels like she's let everyone down. Then there's a shot of her around the camp or on the beach and she, there's Fiona and Kim and Amber... And this is where she starts trying to to tell like tell the tribe why it happened, like why she couldn't untie the knot. And and of course everyone knows it was Im- Imogen let him down. But this is what I love this reaction from the, the the rest of the tribe here. Imogen's like, oh, you know, I I forgot I get a bit claustrophobic from the the, the goggles from the mask. And she's trying to like explain why it happened. And you the reaction from the tribe mates who know they're sitting there like uh you fucked up like you cost <laughs> us but they, they sit there of course they're trying to make out that to, to imogen it's not a problem they're they're just like they're nodding and oh okay that's why like oh okay now that makes sense that's why you're stuffed up you know like and, and like because fiona's there she, she's like oh, okay and amber like i love you got to watch the game, man. Is the reaction from Amber? She's like, "Ah, oh, that makes sense now. That's why you fucked it." You know, like it's brilliant. And of course, then it goes to Fiona confessional. It's like, "Ah, uh, Imogen's a weak link." Yeah. You know, like it just it goes from them trying to make out, like, "Oh, that's all right, no problem." Ah, uh, Imogen's weak. And that's that's where, like, again, as a viewer, it's great because, like, oh, this so kind good. of goes back to my point about Justin, where it's sort of like there's that level of that she's really there to play the game. She's competitive and, and she, she's wanting what's best for the tribe. And let's be honest and realistic Imogen's not at this point good for the tribe. Is she, she's doing that and kind of struggling. So you can definitely see it from Fiona's eyes, but I think kind of just like personally, I kind of, I'm really feeling for Imogen. So kind of like she's, you know, it's, it's, it's like when you're, you're watching any season, it's, you know, you're thinking about back to Josh and Jeremy back in Sam Wandel serve using a, a US version. Craig and, and Rob, I should be bringing up season one. You know, you're kind of on one or the other team as a viewer. And I'm, I'm definitely Team Imogen. So it's kind of there. But And it's also like, yeah, like Amber's Amber's just fun because, again, oh, Amber so just – I mean, we love Amber. We, we spoke to her as a backdoor pilot. We're going to get her on again. And it's kind of like I just don't know if Amber knows what she's doing because, like, you get that reaction of, oh, that's why you did. Oh, it totally makes sense. And yeah. Nicole – the nicest woman in the world. She's ah, like, oh, that's fine. He's Fiona going, are you fucking kidding me? She fucked up. That's not an excuse. It's, it's funny too because when Imogen's trying to explain that, Kim's actually standing behind behind Imogen and like Kim, she's sort of like sitting there nodding but there's not much sort of emotion. I think Kim's just like, get me the fuck off this island. Yeah, Kim, like, Kim, she, Kim's literally going, oh, do we have, we're we not going home yet. Like Kim's looking at I, I think Kim's actually sitting there thinking, Imogen, why do you have to suck so much? I just want to be voted out and gone. Like, can you please suck a little less so I can get off this island, get out of Vanuatu and get back home to my ballroom, please. This is, this is where Kim's gone. All right, David, I, I'm going home. I'm quitting. Yeah, quitting, and they're like, "No, oh, no, no, come on, you can stay there, you can stay there." <laughs> I'm actually just like, yeah, I'm thinking like Kim's actually gone into thinking like, if all I've got to just do, just do, just do basically nothing around camp, do very little, do nothing, and they'll vote me out. That's all good. And I'll be out of here. <laughs> and then she's got to watch someone just totally suck in everything, and she's like, "Oh my god, I'm actually going to have to sit here and talk to the EP <laughs> now and just tell him to get me out of here because I'm going to actually survive first tribal council." We talked a lot last season about whether you're mainly a Tapara or a Kadena man. I think at this point, you know, this early on in the season, uh, it's, it's quite clear to see that we are both Moso fans. Like oh. we, are, we are Moso men. Can I just say, any, <laughs> any, any tribe with Fiona, you know, Amber, 
bloody, you know, <laughs> Imogen, like, like, come on. And then Justin doing bribes later. Like, this is the tribe you want. I'm all blue, baby. I'm all blue. But I'll tell you what, Fiona's playing hard. Like, she, yeah. she's taking Amber into the bush and throwing Imogen under the bus. Like, she want her Amber's, uh, sorry, Fiona has literally Imogen's head on a stick and she's ready just to, like, put it in the fire. And let's bring up our favourite C word, Matt Dice, in context. Let's 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 really analyse where we are at right now in, in Survivor. That transition bridging period I keep mentioning. I mean, this really kind of blends into that modern version of the game, doesn't it? Where from episode one, you were trying hard. You were you were doing what you can to get people out. We didn't see this in episode one of Whaler's Way. This this didn't happen really at all very early on until David Harsh really. So kind of this straight away, Fiona Horn, as you said, she's she's gunning for it. Like straight away. And like she even I think mentions like oh i don't know if there's any alliances of that but she's pulling amber aside you know she's saying this later on we're going to get to see it doing the the great little moment with justin melvy which i can't wait to get to that's just a subtle little brilliant moment with the conversation with justin melvy but yeah it's just it's gold and again whether or not like i'm gonna be annoyed by the shit out of her and some of these episodes and when i'm out on the beach as a as television she's she's absolutely fantastic I just appreciate any Survivor players, whether normal, celebrity, what, if they're getting paid, whatever. I just appreciate players going in there and and actually giving the game a crack. You know, yeah. like, Ben, I, I know you, you know, Pete, you joke around with me about how I played the game. People can say whatever they want. But I know as well that I got a lot of people that appreciate, at least I gave it a crack as far as finding idols and all that. And, and, and. And that's just how I look at the game. That's how I want to see players playing a game. At the end of the day, I, I don't really care where they come. I just want to know, I judge them on if, did they give this game of Survivor an actual crack or did they sit in the background and wait to be voted out? I can't stand players like that. Fiona, lover or hater, she was actually there. It appeared from what we saw, she was actually there to play Survivor. Yeah, yeah. And she and actually that's... wanted to play this game. And yeah. That's what I love about Fiona in this in, in this season is she's there and even from day two, she's she's you know trying to lead the tribe. She's like, all right, we need this player out. We need to get to this far with stronger play, and she's actually willing to throw people under the bus. So I'm all Fiona, baby. I'm all Fiona. Well, this is where I think it's kind of for anybody who's watching this season along with us and maybe have never seen this or it's been you know 15 years since they they have seen this season. And again. I sound like a broken down record by saying the bridging season, all this kind of stuff. But for people who talk down this season and think it's not a real season of Survivor, you've got a player like Fiona who's playing hard. This is this is that modern mentality of most Survivor fans. You, people believe this is how you play Survivor. You're out there. You're doing moves. You're making moves. What do we always hear on the Channel 10 version? Blind sides. I want to be involved in vote outs. I want to do this. You know, so someone like me, that's not the sole way to play Survivor. There's so many more elements to that, but so many people think that's how you play Survivor. And there's Fiona. And and Matt, like what you're saying, like you're the type of person who does appreciate gameplay like this, giving it a crack, giving it a try. I give you shit all the time, but I definitely agree with you. You at least tried to do stuff out there. You didn't just sit back and go, fuck, I'm going home. I suck. Clearly, I'm going to do a podcast in a couple of years with some random dude who can never fucking get on the show. That's where I am at life. I may as well go home now and get called a sexist pig by feminists two days later on social media. That wasn't your plan. At least I hope it wasn't. So, you know, I, I, I respect, you know, the fact that you did do what you did. So, yeah, it's it, and it's... And again, at the end of the day, as I keep saying, it makes great television. And this is what I've always said about players that whether I personally am a fan of them or not, it doesn't matter to me what my feelings are as long as I'm watching this for for great 
TV. You know, there are plenty of Australian Survivor players that I'm not fans of. Wait till we get to Channel 10 version. You'll hear a lot more about it. But again, if I'm entertained enough that I don't like them, casting have done their job well. And, and that to me, this is a television show and that's what's most important. Absolutely. If you can look at a cast and say, I like this person, love that person, hate that person, the, the, the casting have done their job. And can I just say, Ben Waterworth, you're selling yourself short, mate. All I ever wanted was to do a podcast with you, mate. So <laughs> you, you're actually selling yourself short there, mate. Playing two days of Survivor and then getting on the Oz Network, then creating ASA with you, mate. That's all I ever wanted. Fuck half a million dollars, mate. I ASA is where it's at. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on air, but we had talked before you ever went on Survivor. You did message me when the cast was announced, basically saying, hey, did you see the cast? And this was at a period where I really just was not watching Survivor at all. I was kind of taking a break. And I was kind of, I remember seeing that message on my phone going, man, oh, I remember talking to this guy, like, oh, yeah, I'll check that message later. And then I remember going, like, reading it going, did you see the cast today? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And I'm like, okay. So I looked at it and then I'm like, fuck. One of our listeners is on Survivor. Hey! And then I'm all Mr. Suck Up and nice and friendly. So <laughs> I, 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 I do remember that. All of a sudden, you fob me off, and then when you realise, yeah. like an hour later, all of a sudden, oh, I'm actually going to be in Brisbane soon. Do you want to catch up? Like, just like Guy Leach says in in the night night two here, he, I, I went I went from the shit house to the penthouse with yeah. you and. Guy Leach actually says that here. I'm actually just looking down at my notes and that's Guy Leach actually says uh, on night two where uh, it's pissing down rain. He says, oh, we've gone from the penthouse to the shithouse all in the space of five hours, mate. That's how I That's how I felt like with you in the space of about an hour. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, I have no friends uh, because <laughs> I am an asshole and that is case in point. Matt Dyson has been at the other end of me being a absolute asshole. Channel 10, if you want an asshole on, on the next season, I'm, I'm available. But... Yeah, it's. I mean, th- that quote. I love the the from the um the penthouse to the shit house. It's fantastic. I, I love also too. Is it David? Is it David who says like maybe Fiona's cast a spell on our beach? Is that her? He yeah. says that. And is it guy or somebody who turns? Oh, does she have that power? Maybe she does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. As, you know, it's funny. As much as we're all Team Mosa over here, like you got this. You got to actually love Kakula, like. I know we're not we're not really seeing Elton Flatley. Uh, he, he, I don't think he has that sort of personality. But when you, when you got Guy Leach, Wayne, and, and David Oldfield all together on a beach, I mean, David Oldfield with those two blokes, I mean, they're probably the last first and last time they're ever going to be hanging out on a beach together. <laughs> it's a bit of an odd sort of trio, but it makes it actually makes for good chats, yeah. you know, and good TV. Like that's what I love about. In the end, they actually didn't do too bad with putting these tribes together because. You're putting people together, like Fiona Horn and Imogen obviously wouldn't, you know, be friends sort of naturally outside the game because they're totally different personalities. Um, I, I actually, and like you said, we're talking about did casting get it right? I think in the end, you know what? They did They did pretty well, Ben. Yeah, and that's why you, very back to the very first episode where you kind of said, like, what would you change? And I said, well, I don't think I would um, because, I, I mean, realistically, we went over the Torval and Dean people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, for star power, it might have been good, but... You know, I mean, Lara Bingle, is Lara, Lara Bingle yeah. going to bring anything fucking different? Probably not. I watched five seconds of that reality show and I wanted to get a bloody bleaching of the brain. It wasn't anything <laughs> exciting. But, yeah, no, I think, um, you know, in moments like this, you know, it really does kind of showcase what, what good casting can do with that. One thing I want to point out before we get to the immunity challenge, Justin Melby's uh, attire, he's got a little Norwegian flag on his jacket there. I, I'd love to find out from Justin when we get him on 
what on earth that is for. And also, at the very beginning, when they're going over the rules and everything, raincoats. Now, I'm not a fan of people getting raincoats in Survivor. I know they got the dries of bone in Whaler's Way, but let's be honest, that was bitterly cold. Still possibly not a fan of that. They should be suffering. This is the thing. Like, it's pissing down with rain on night two. Fucking suck it up, princess. It's yeah. Survivor. Oh, yeah. In, in relation to the dry that dries the bones in season one, I think that was more that they wouldn't have had anyone left out yeah, there. They'd be dead. They would have been, <laughs> be dead or yeah, in hospital. So... Uh, that was fair enough, you know. But you're right. I'm with you. I don't like the fact that you get a rain jacket. Because um, they used to get them in a US Survivor too. If you actually go back and watch the yellow, Borneo, I mean, all the yellow. Borneo, bloody Jeff Probst lets them stay in tribal council to avoid the rain, if you but remember were, that. In season one, Borneo, they were all in yellow. They had sunglasses and all yeah. that. So I'm glad well, they it's, quickly. It's, it's actually funny if you listen to any of the old survivors talking about how new school survivors have it so much better. My argument always against them is that you got like a wardrobe of clothes you used to be able to take back in the initial like first 10 or so seasons of Survivor. Whereas nowadays you, you get very limited. Listen to Purple Kelly tell her stories from Nicaragua and that led to her quitting. She literally yeah. was forced to sit out and pouring down rain in a bikini. She had nothing else. Yeah, I actually... I actually listened to that and it was it was quite interesting and even to hear that her original bikini wasn't allowed because it was too skimpy or something so they end up putting her in another set of bikinis but that's all she had so she basically lived it but that's like it was in the pearl island was it the pearl islands the close off the back the big jump the the, the guy that with the big the big really buff um black guy and he had uh he had a suit Yes, and he had the suit, and yep. he ended up selling because they were allowed to barter in the in the That's village, right. and he yep. and he and he, he basically sold his suit, and he was just down to his you know underpants. The famous one of that one was Nicole in a kind of a evening gown jumping because that was the very first season of US Survivor where it was like you're closing your back because they all thought they were doing a promo shoot on that boat, and it's a similar start to this, isn't it? You got the clothes in your back and yeah. one change of clothes. Just quickly, I know I know obviously it's a totally different season, but do you know with Austin like? That was that ended up why he because he would have been freezing through that whole season. He struggled in the end, and it was because I think there was a lot more to it. A lot than more that. To that. and also yeah. I think Jeff Probst had a bit of goating around there with him because you know yeah, with any quitter in Survivor, there's always more to it than simply just walking away. Clearly, he was the first, so they're going to make an example of him, and he was always made. I mean, he didn't even get a you know, tribe has spoken. Jeff Proats was literally throw your torch down and piss well, off. So, and, and I'm glad you actually said that, that there's, there's more to people that are known as quitters more to the story. And you did touch on it before Peter in, in the next season. Yeah. Now, like I kind of know that there's more to that story. I there don't know is. the whole, I don't know the whole story, yeah. but um, hopefully, you know, down the track when we, we cover that season, we'll get, we'll get Peter on and, and to tell it, but I definitely know there's a lot more to that story. And that's why I kind of, probably I'm a bit more hesitant to really call people quitters and stuff because until you know the whole story, um, trust me, mate, reality TV, they they, they have a, a good way of editing certain things out and telling a story that's not always the full story. So until you know the full facts, I don't, yeah, I think it's important with, even with Peter, like, there's more to it. And, and that's what hopefully on ASA we'll be able to cover in, in the future. And I absolutely agree with that. I think kind of my point with around his quit is not necessarily his quit. It's more of a case of that his tribe decided to keep him and vote someone else out when yeah. you literally... Like, and I've, I've always... I remember when I rewatched that season at one point and I was very vocal. I got into a bit of a back and forth with Matt Tarrant about this and kind of he was trying to explain it. I'm like, like I just didn't buy his explanation. But again, that's a, that's another season away. Yeah. But you, you're right with the quitters and it's kind of always been that notion of, 
you know, in the US where it's like, oh, I would never quit. I would give my left arm. I have no respect for a quitter. And we have Peter, a quitter. I've never been on the show, so I should be in that category now. If I've applied for the show, I'll give that. But, like, I've always said I, I don't know until I'm out there what I'm going to react. Mm. I, as a super fan of this show, I've loved this show from day one. And, like you said, I would give both my legs to play this game, you know, and, and experience it. I could get out there on day one and I could quit. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would like to think I wouldn't. And I can firmly say right now, I wouldn't. But again, I could hit that beach mm. on day one. I don't know. You've played mm. the game. You've obviously experienced it on a level that someone like I have never had. So you know what that's experience like. And of course, I you're a lot tougher than me. You're, you're not definitely not going to quit. But and, I, and again, Channel 10, if you're listening, I'm not going to quit. Like, put me on the fucking show. But it's just one of those things that I think it's always important to to think a little bit more about the perspectives of these players. And I don't think anyone in the history of at least the US, the Australian, the New Zealand ones from the ones I've seen, when they've quit, the quitters that we've had have just given up. You know, fuck this. I want to go home. Like, it's there's always more to it. Uh, you're right. And, and we'll get back on track, but I will say this. I will say this in closing. Um, you, you, we probably wouldn't find out if you if you were a quitter or not, Ben, because you'd join the first boot club. But anyway. Hey. Uh, <laughs> and then we uh, could have a great old first. Imagine if I was a first boot. Like, I feel like if I get on, I'm deliberately going to go out of my way to get booted out first because there's no podcast in the history of podcasts hosted by two first boots. Like, Rob has a podcast. Oh, I was on All Stars and Jeff Probst called me the greatest player never to have win and Russell Hans and Johnny Fairplay. Icons who have podcasts. Fuck it. I want a podcast hosted by Deb Eaton and Sonia. Bring it on. I want to hear it. It's, uh, mate, I'm telling you, it's the best club. I've, I've, I've told you, any club with Dez, Joan, Anastasia, Lucinda. You have Dez Quilty ne- in a club. That is the coolest club. I know. The it, drinks mate, are flowing you, in that club. You know it. We we have winners in the club. Yeah. You do now. One. Yeah. Shane. Shane Gould. The, non, the greatest non-Tasmanian ever to play Survivor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Non-Tasmanian. Just had now, to put ben, it out there. Come on. It's not been brought up in a while. Ben, now getting back to the recap, we've got day three. It starts off with Moso. Now... Kim, we get another confession. Kim's struggling. We know that she's never felt so hungry. She's never felt so hungry in her life. She's got, you know, she's got lack of energy. She's never felt anything like this in her life. I love her. I love Kim. And every time you see her, like she's just she she looked so glam on day one. She does. And honestly, the poor girl, like she's just deer in the headlights. She doesn't know what she's doing. Trust me, like you see her just in those three days, and from when she started the game. (laughs) to the end point and man it, it it can i just say it looked like a rough three days which and like going back to what we're talking about quitters i mean technically kim's a quitter we, you don't beat around the bush if you're talking about these players i literally just said i don't think anyone's ever just gone out there and just gone want to go home you, you kim technically is kim is maybe the closest to that but again going back to my point i i, I do feel for i don't kind of anything like that but like i just i just love these confetti because again she's just she's no clue She's like, what? Mm. She's like silvening out right now. She really doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, is she, yeah. Who is the silvan of the season Kim. again? Did we? Kim. <laughs> right, Kim's it. <laughs> there um, it is. And silvening out. That is a, sil- a silvening out. We're yeah. trademarking. Trademarking like. that. Now uh, we've got Imogen has a confessional that she says that she knows how important to win it is to win this immunity challenge because she knows she's in a bad position and she really has to step up in this challenge to, to prove that she's worthy of staying. So 
it's interesting there. We see Kim struggling and Imogen obviously wants to stay, but she knows she, yeah, her head's on the chopping block. Matt Dyson, I'm so excited to get into this immunity challenge because I, <laughs> I, I had to put up with shit last season of people measuring sticks and crap like that. We are getting into one of my favorite challenges of any survivor. We had we had this at least twice on the US one. I know this was Vanuatu. I believe we've had it more than once on US survivor, but we have a challenge of collecting pigs in mud. This is brilliant. Do this challenge again, Australian survivor. I want to see JLP standing in a pit of mud and so does everybody else. Let's be honest of all the three hosts to see jlp covered in mud with that rig yes please but this is fantastic before i even get to the challenge as well dicko has just woken up and whacked on the sunnies he's got his black flannel on he's fucking going to town he's mr fashionable out there in vanuatu looking the looking the shit um imogen struggling because she's all into the animals and doesn't want to do this but again say what you will about imogen like she's a bit whiny okay animals rights if that's what you think i i disagree because she still does it and she gets a great confessional after this challenge where she's kind of like yeah i i I struggled i was conflicted i didn't want to let the tribe down but at the same time i'm very pro animals and i love kind of they focus so much on her in this challenge and oh this just i can't wait to she appears on the show to really talk to her about this but this challenge is so good what makes this challenge shit is the reward aspect no no, no this is it is bad. shit, Matt. Don't talk to me about this not being this, shit. This is my favourite part of the bloody episode. We oh. finally get to see the one, the only, fresh from a stint in Iraq, former SAS man, Ben, Be- or Benjamin Ben Wynn. Like, this, they get a reward of a former SAS guy to come in and, and teach them, you know, about camp life and, and what they can eat. Like, how good's this? I'm going to say this right now with risking any interview with this guy if we ever get him on the show. Um, this guy's a piece of wood. Like, I, I literally have seen pieces of wood with more personality and excitement and entertainment value than Ben. I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's, he's, a, he's a unit. He's big. He's tough thank you so much for defending our country ben like thank you for your service but mate flick a switch on like watch something that excites you like what 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 excites you like hang oh, on I'm uh, ben. Uh, uh, like, what, what you give my name a bad reputation look <laughs> you probably wouldn't use the words personality plus with him uh, to describe <laughs> to describe him but the guy's got a rig on him. He's built like a brick shit house. I'm just I like, jealous. I like the fact he's got the hat. He's kind of made it like the Legionnaires hat. He's got like a you know like a shirt or something that's and then the cap on. So it's, this guy, this guy knows how to survive in the jungle. All right, but like, does he though? Because well, when we get after this challenge, there's a moment where Wayne's like, "I'll oh, see. Do you boil it? Do it?" And he's like, "Uh, yeah, you could." Steam it, I guess. Like he, he really even the survival aspect. I swear, when he's actually going around, I think he's bullshitting. This is why I want Ben on the show because I feel he's bullshitting. He's like, oh yeah, yeah just, that, that you can steam it. Yeah, you fucking do what you want with it, mate. Like that's that's what he's doing. I gotta say, look, I still, I know, I really, you know, asked a lot of questions to David Mason about Ben Wynn, and he sort of didn't really give us too much. He said that he possibly could have known him, like being an applicant from the the mole days. I still reckon Ben, there's more to it, and that's I do why too. Yeah. I, I do too. That it, I, I was thinking about it afterwards, and I'm like, it still, it didn't fly with me. What that, that what we got told about how he came into it. There's more to it. If this is the twelfth contestant of this season, this is a celebrity version. Like his backstory, there's more to it. There, there has to be. So I look, I still haven't been able to track him down. There's actually they've just been promoting a new show. 
uh, in Australia. Um, it's a, a SAS Australia. It's called a. It's um basically a, a. I think they've got like three or five SAS or former SAS. Uh, you know people and uh then they get celebrities on and they've got people like well, apparently Chappelle Corby's a celebrity these days apparently um <laughs> Chappelle got, Corby yeah she, she's wow. on I'll, 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 do you know about this show Ben I know you're, you're I in know Canada, but if Chappelle okay. Corby's doing okay. SAS holy crap okay so let's just let's just go through the cast so we've got Chappelle Corby wow. we've got the honey badger Nick Cummins oh. fresh off his there you Fresh go. Fresh show of his recent stint on as being the Bachelor that yep. didn't end too well for him. No. Uh, Roxy Jasenko. Can I? Is, she, oh. is, there, is, is there a reality TV Stop show with celebrities Roxy she's not on? Happen like Jesus. She, man, they've been they've been pushing that for the last ten years, haven't they? Just just get to a point where you realize, Roxy, that no one gives a shit about you. Just stop. Stop, she Roxy. Was, she was on. Um, a celebrity Apprentice, wasn't she? She was on everything with the word. Ce- she was on Celebrity Survivor. They just edited her out. You're gonna who like this one. Who is she? What did oh. she? Who? Why is she a celebrity? Uh, ben Wynn is more of a celebrity than Roxy. I know she likes to. It says here she likes to flaunt her lavish lifestyle on Instagram. Good for She's, her. She she is a PR, PR maven. It says who founded Sweaty Betty and is married married to disgraced businessman. Oliver Curtis. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, Disgra- you, I like how they use the word disgraced. You you got you go from Chappelle Corby to Roxy Jenko. Like there's a there's a high and a low there. T- talking about disgrace, we've got the wife of a you could say a disgraced cricketer, Candace Warner. So obviously David Warner was involved in that that uh, Sandgate uh, sandpaper scandal um, in South Africa a couple of years ago. So Candace Warner is now a thing, apparently former Iron Woman ch- champion. So um, maybe she knew Guy Leach. Probably a bit bit different time periods, but yep. uh, who knows? Um, who else we got here? Merrick Watts. Oh yeah. I feel like are we now doing a podcast of SAS Australia? I don't know. Anyway, we're just we're just we're just reliving celebrity. I mean, this it is a good period though. Like fifteen years later, who's a celebrity Ooh. in Australia? I mean, Merrick and Rosso haven't been a thing for a while, but sure. You would know this person, a former retired swimmer, James Magnuson. Oh yeah. Olympic, oh the Olympic the the uh, Mr. Freestyle. Silver Medal, Mr. Yeah. Silver Medal himself, Mr. I'm so good, I'm going to win. He like you you want to talk about people who just just. Promised the world and delivered an atlas. James Magnuson would be up there with a the bullet. We all thought he was our saviour, Mr. Gold Medal, and he just won silver every single time. Yep. Mitchell Johnson's on there. Ah, oh, Mitchell Sabri- Johnson, okay. Sabrina Frederick, Who's famous that? for being a AFLW star, so uh, female okay. AFL player. Yep. Um, Naomi might know her. She follows the women's I was going to say, Naomi's on the season. Wow. <laughs> kept that secret. So, yeah. So, look, um, th- there's a few. Yeah. So, that, that's a... That's anyway. Nice where I was going with that? Why? Where I was going with that? When I heard about this show, this is where I was going with this. I actually looked up to see if Ben Wynn was one of the former SAS people doing the show, and is he, he wasn't. Oh, no, damn. The thing I'll say, like, like I'm with you. Like, there's there's more to it because, and again, I'm I'm I'm, I'm ripping into you, Ben. I'm, I really do want to get you on the show. We really do want to learn more about you. But if you're gonna get an SAS guy on the show. Is that the best one you're going to get in terms of personality? I'm sorry. Like, I, again, every SAS person out there, thank you for your service. You are doing jobs that I couldn't even remotely get close to doing. I'm sure if I 
was in the vicinity of one of you, I'd feel so small and insecure that I would crumble and realize that what am I doing with my life? But seriously, I'm sure there is somebody in the SAS who has an inch of personality that would have been slightly better than Mr. Wynn here. Can I just say, Ben, if if you're in the SAS and you, you're the one we're, we're putting all our hopes and dreams on to, to, to keep this... Keep this world safe. We are fucked. We my are friend. fucked. We are we yeah, are done. Absolutely. Trump is president <laughs> for like another fifty years, probably. Now, I'll say this: I with SA. I mean, are they are they going to have a lot of personality? These SAS guys. Well, I can't imagine I them thinking, being full though. of beans. Yeah, they're not going to be full of beans, are they? No, but like, I mean, again, surely there's something. Like, I mean, I know they're kind of trained in a certain way. But I just, I just feel like there's got to be a switch. There's just but, something there. Come on. But I'll just say, I, I can't disagree with you anymore. I love Ben Wynn. I want to track him down. Someone track him down for me. I'm not having any <sighs> luck. But this guy, I just love, I'll, look, all jokes aside, like, I actually love the fact that we don't know anything about this guy. He's come out of nowhere. He's on a celebrity show and he's not a celebrity. He, he comes, he goes, he's forgotten about. Apparently... No one even knows he's been alive for the last 15 years because you can't track him down. Like, who the hell is this? Like, is Ben Wynn even his real name? Does David Mason know more than he's letting on about him? Um, mate, that's what I, that's what intrigues me. Like, all jokes aside, that's what intrigues me. Out of every survivor that's played this game, what, we've got 123, is it? Um, Australian yeah, survivor. Yep. Out of all 123, he's the one that's known the least about. I reckon him and Gabrielle are living on an island somewhere together. They just haven't been heard from in a while. I, I mean, it's it's a, the point you make, like, yeah, the, the personality situation with people in this industry. I mean, Damien from your season, I mean, he had some personality though, right? Like, he wasn't boring. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed hey, Damien. Da- he was playing the game. He was, yeah. I'm sure you hung out with him a bit or got to at least have a conversation with him, did you? Or Ben, I was there for two days, mate. Oh, I mean, like the reunion. Surely you said hello, did uh, you? Or? Yeah, no, I'll sit next to him in the reunion show. Yeah, Damien's a great bloke. Absolutely great bloke. He would have, I would have loved to have had Damien on my my tribe. He's a great person. But yeah, but yeah, those SAS guys, though, they're not like I said, they're not full of beans. They're no dicko. You know, they're not. They're not. They're not bloody <laughs> just out there. The and you know, it's just because they get trained. Like they're at that level. But look. They scare me, Matt. I can sit here behind a microphone and be all Mr. Brave Ben and say, you've got no personality. But again, he's fucking knocking on my door right now. I'm shitting my pants, all right? Ben, you would kick my ass. You, you would absolutely rip into me. Please don't hurt me. Come on the show. I apologize for that. But seriously, mate, I will tickle you. If I can tickle Ben Wynn to get a laugh out of him and see that he can smile, there you go. Ben, can I just say words that I use to describe you is icon. Legend, you know, funny at times. Uh, one thing I'll never, one word I'll never use to describe you, Ben, would be brave. Yeah, true, very true, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm the complete opposite of brave. I, I, I am, a, I'm a wuss. I'm a chicken. Own it. Uh, one thing I will say, actually, before I want to get to this challenge, Mister Win, I um did label him as the worst Australian Survivor contestant of all time in our rankings back when we did them when there were seventy six players. And I may still hold that opinion. Okay. In serious, though, how, how can Ben win? Okay, in all serious, how can Ben win be worse than Kim Johnson, who, who says, I'm out of here, like I'm done, I'm not, I'm not injured, I'm not sick, I'm just, this isn't for me, I'm out of here. I, I, you can't put Ben win in that category, no way. That, that, is, that's, that, is, unfair, that is unfair to Ben, whether you like him, love him, 
want to know what the hell he was doing on that show. The bloke didn't quit. But but the argument I would have is Ben did nothing. There's not yeah, but, one thing you can tell me Ben did. That well, kid, like what's what? I mean, I, the difference is okay. He didn't quit, so that's a great argument. That is a fantastic argument. But Kim, she at least looked good in a bikini. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 you stumped me, Matt Dyson. But, you stumped me. Ben, no, you said Ben didn't do anything. Well, he, he did show Wayne what, what plants he could... But I still eat. say he didn't. He was making that up. I'm telling you now, Ben, we was bullshitting in that. So you watch it again. He's just like, oh, yeah, you could steam it and shit and fucking there's everything here. And like he doesn't know what he's talking about. The guy's probably a sniper or something. He's probably he sitting is. up on a bloody bell tower, not, never even going to the jungle. He, he's he, he's and then. Been- yeah, he does. He's been told last minute, like you were coming to this case, coming again. By the way, you know everything about the land. And he's like, what? He's like, just, just fucking go with it, mate. You're on Survivor. You're hanging out with Wayne Gardner. Just go for it. So they've got him there. Wayne Gardner's like, oh yeah, like great. What are we can do? Oh, fucking boil it and shit. And I don't fucking know. But, but you look, we interviewed Sean McBride in season one. He he was of course the survival expert and former SAS member. Had um, personality. There you go. Yeah, yes, but he still wasn't full of beans. The guy, yeah, he's still not. He at least had one or two. Ben he's Wing not got like minus twelve. He's not out there like Luke Toki and just you know <laughs> out there and you know like, um, you know what I mean. So yeah. But anyway, hey, getting back to this challenge. Yes, five, challenge. How great is this challenge? Pigs yeah, in mud. Five, <laughs> five pigs. This is another one where there's five pigs. Uh, there's all five members of each tribe. Kim Johnson sits out of this this challenge. Um, so all five members have to take a turn of of getting a pig and, and, and getting in the mud, getting a pig and bringing it back. So once again, I like these challenges where every member has to actually participate. Um, ben, obviously we meet Ben. We just spoke about that. He's the reward. And uh, Dicko in the sunglasses, he says, now the first time we hear it, this is the first, this becomes a staple of this season. Play hard, play safe, but play to win. <laughs> it's... And, you know what I love when David Mason said why they came up with that right? It's it's he kind of implied that it was we couldn't use out without last out play. Okay, fair enough. The thing I'll counter that with, Jeff Probst, Lincoln, JLP, no one before a challenge goes out with out last out play. Like never says it. It's a logo thing. I want that on the I want somebody to redo the celebrity survivor logo with an out, uh, play hard, play fair but play to win. Actually, that's brilliant. Never even thought of that's brilliant. Why was that not in the logo? Yeah, because Dico came up like we found out that was Dico's saying. But it like it is actually like it is. I would go out in a limb and say that's maybe the most iconic thing from this season is that saying. Like it's just it's just a little quirk that I'm sure people out there hate. I don't doubt it for a second. But it's just. It's just hilarious. Dicko just play hard, play, but he he alters it sometimes. Like later on, I think he's like play hard, play dirty, but play to it. Like he actually changes it for some challenges as well. So like Dicko's just oh fuck, I love this man. Oh, uh, he's probably looking at Gabriel Richards when he says that. Like play dirty, <laughs> yeah. but um, can I just say, can we get like one of those? You know those thug memes where, like, because Dicko with the shades on saying this play hard, play safe, but play to win, where, and then, like, you know how it comes down with the hat and the cigar and it's like the glasses, you know, he's yeah. already got the glasses. One of those, we need one of those thug memes. It, it's so, oh, love Dicko. Love it. Which, I mean, this challenge, though, Matt, tell me you love this challenge as much as I do. Look, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good challenge. I mean, it's not the best in history, but it's certainly nowhere near the worst. I mean, at least, it's a fair one. I think when you've got a, a tribe with all, you know, 
basically all females bar one male and Justin, and then you got all the males. Like, you, you, it's one that you could either tribe probably could have won. I still think it does kind of lend itself to in favor of Kakula, which is a shame because then the reward is another big bulky bloke. So it's like, well, you know, when you got guys like you know Guy Leach on there and and um, you know Wayne Gardner, like they're going to probably be able to pick up a pig and get it back quicker. Um, so Elton I don't know. And then, then the, the tackling, he's pretty good at that. So yeah, and Elton Flatley, of course. I mean, that's a pretty big advantage. And then what do you get for a reward? A big, bulky, muscly former SAS player. Like, that kind of annoys me because it's like, well, that's not really help. like what were the odds of the females actually winning that one? Probably not. You know what? Maybe ten percent. Like it, this. Yeah, you know, it didn't. It wasn't great like that. But it the actual challenge been, he should he should have gone to the tribe that lost. It should have been like the Sylvia thing I was saying from Fiji. Like he's Ben, and uh, the the positive is is that you'll lose a member but you'll gain a member basically or something like that. But because well, like when we didn't mention before in the reward challenge, and it's a very good point you make about suiting that. I mean. There were like Moso did so well to get back into that because I mean you've got a fucking Iron Man on that thing and like you've got like five men, four men, whatever it is, basically, uh, you know, going out there and it's not just the swimming aspect; it's you dragging this heavy chest and everything along those lines. So it, it was it, so heavily, tar- you know, towards it, the men in that challenge. Yeah, absolutely, and even just something like it is something like where whoever wins it gets to choose out of out of. Like, and scrap that bloody fish feast for the reward. You know, the winner either gets a big feast, so the, the winning tribe either gets a, gets to choose the big feast or they get to take, they get the option of taking Ben win. And then so, like, <laughs> fish feast, please. Because, yeah, that's, well, that's what I mean. If the guys would have won, if the guys would have won, they probably would have been told to anyway, but they would have then just taken the feast. Yeah. And then, the, and then that, to me, that would have been a better way of getting Ben win into the game and onto the female tribe where, he needed to be. He didn't need to be with a bunch of other blokes. He didn't need to be. So yeah. they could have done something different there. That's what. That's the only issue I have with Ben Ben's intro, you know, entrance into the game is that he ends up on Kakula. Like, what the fuck? And I think too, um, you know, we get a bit with Gabriel. They're all married. Like, oh, what are your wives going to think? Like, and also just for the the sexiness factor. Like, because you know, again, we said Ben's a unit. He looks good with his shirt off. You know, he, he's, he's chiseled. He's, he's everything you want an SAS person. Well, and let's be honest, it's probably what they've gone with because he's, he's a good-looking rooster. Well, you want to put that around the women. Yeah. You want them to be like, oh, oh look how sexy he is, and we, we don't get it. Well, I, I think back then Kim Johnson wasn't married. Who would have known? They, they could have ended up, you know, here she is for the couple of days, like, oh, I'm, you know, David, I want out. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm first out. Next second, Ben Wynn enters the game. He, he, he gets on Moso. And then she's like, oh, geez, this is a nice big muscly bloke. Next section, she's like, David, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm fine. I'm staying. Let, let's be honest. I think Kim's done all right for herself in the subsequent years. I think uh, her husband right now is um, quite good. So, yeah, I think she's well, batted quite high. Hey, there. Yes, true. But we don't we don't know where where Benjamin is. So for all, for all we know, he could be as loaded just as much as, you know. Probably loaded up on the, uh, the personality pills to try and find something, <laughs> Mr. Wynn. Stop. Just, I, I think also what it is too, Matt, his name's Ben. And I, I've got to be honest, Ben's are great people. And again, Australian Survivor doesn't have a great track record with the name Ben. So. That, it would have been funny yeah. though, see, seeing Ben in Moso Tribe, like with, you know, with all the women and, and Justin. Like it would have. It actually would have been pretty fun, and he could have helped him with stuff. But also, yeah, big, big, muscly bloke. Like, a, um, I don't know. I think that it, it would have been a lot better than getting him in Kakula anyway. I will say at least our next Ben, um, it's not his fault 
that we don't see him. It's Channel 10's fault for not showing him. And Mr. Sideshow Bob himself in a couple of seasons. And then we get Benji, which <laughs> let's hold those thoughts to that season, Mr. Waterworth. <laughs> now, we, we did mention this before about Dicko's voiceover. Now, it is all obvious too. And um, once again, they didn't show the live reaction from of Dicko of the tribe winning, of Kakula winning. It was It was sort of... You see that they win, Kakula win, and then next second, like the, the teams are back together, and then like why? Once again, why no live reaction of like that's the one of the most important things of the host is that live reaction of when a team, especially for an immunity, maybe yeah, for a reward I can forgive that, but for an immunity, there's just no live reaction, and um, I don't, that, it's it's really irking me. It's really irking me. Well, it's it's interesting. It's kind of irking you so much because I don't remember you talking too much about it in season one. Were you just a little bit more forgiving of, well, of Whaler? Because we didn't get it in Whaler's way. Either. No, I, but I am forgiving in season one because man, that was like so early in Survivor. By this stage, this is six years into you know of Survivors in the world, like being shot. Like by that stage, I mean, bloody Jeff Probe when he's doing, it, he's he's yeah, you know, he's making sure when a tribe wins that he's going all out. So. Um, we kind of knew at that stage that that worked. Like, you know, people like to see that that sort of flamboyant and, oh, you know, Kakula win, you know, get the SAS Ben guy that's going to last bloody a couple of days and get out of here, something like um, So, yeah, it kind of just irks me. Another One thing that doesn't irk me is Ben's first confessional. So you said he only gets two in the whole lot. He does. This is half of his confessionals in one episode. Can I just, before you get to that, can I just say really quickly, we had a immunity bell in the first season. We get an immunity fucking stick with a rock on it, season two. <laughs> this is this is a shit immunity idol. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. Hey, please explain. <laughs> we've got a one. Stick we've with got a rock. We, We've got a One Nation member on this cast. We, you know, of course, Pauline Hanson famously says, "Please explain." That's a yeah. please explain moment. What is going on with? Is that is, okay, Ben? The, the person who made the map, mm-hmm. the person who came up with that that rhyme for the reward, is this the same person that 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 came up with Has this? Has to be. Has to be. Absolutely. That came up with the bloody immunity, whatever it is. It, it is like I'm looking at it now. It's a stick with a rock or it's a rake with a rock. They've just literally gone to Bunnings and got a, you know, a rake, and whacked a rock on it and go, this will do. There you go. Fucking celebrity survivor. No wonder people don't think this is a real season of Survivor. You win a, win a fucking rake. David Mason immunity. was not lying when he said like they, the budget was already spent with the first 11 celebrities that they, that's why they had to get bit, uh yeah, you know, Ben winning because they didn't have she's that that that's uh <laughs> he had like ten thousand dollars left. They spent nine thousand nine hundred and ninety five dollars on Ben Win and five bucks on a rake for the immunity. <laughs> Is it okay? <laughs> we said we said that this season had the best opening of any season. Is this the worst immunity buddy? Yeah. The, the bell is is brilliant compared to this. I don't even think we really talked up or down the bell. The bell's just the bell. Yeah. Um oh, but- okay. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to know where that bell is now. Oh, so would I. I look, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I, I don't know the Channel Ten versions enough to even remember the immunity idols. I'd ask you, but you never saw one. So, um, I yeah. I mean, it's got to be the worst. Come on. 
Oh, it's the it, trust me, it's the worst. There is one bad one in season in, in Channel Ten that uh, got a few fan reactions. Like, what the don't hell? Don't you is just that? win but, David Jeanette? Isn't like literally you win the Golden God as an idol? Like, because he is one. Look at him. Like, you know, oh like, shit! But, but Ben's confessional. Give me fifty yeah, percent of his confessionals. So, okay, yeah. So he says that yeah, that um, the tribe realise I've got a fair bit to offer, a fair bit of knowledge, stop, and stop, uh, Matt, Matt, Matt. And too think, much personality. They, they, too they, much personality. Okay. Say it better. Come on. I, no, we, <laughs> You're right. There is no personality. Poor, poor Ben. He's a great bloke. I've never met him. Don't know if he's still alive, but he's a great bloke. But you see, yeah, he just says, oh, the, the tribe realised I've got a fair bit of knowledge. And, uh, yeah, I think they found uh, found me to be a valuable prize. Bit better. How's that? You're getting there. You're just better? an excitable guy, Matt. You're senior constable, Matt Dyson. You're pulling people over. Like, you're just too excitable. But, no, you're like, it's... It's it's weird to think that he does only get two confessionals though. Like I mean, it just sums him up because like, more than Lucinda. True, very true. Um, you know, his, his ratio was the same as Lucinda though, one per episode. But it's I. It, you made a very good point though about like had he been on the on the female tribe because it's kind of like there's that moment where he's with Guy Leach and kind of like they just it seems awkward. Like it just kind of is almost like oh, do we want you? What do we need you? Because that's the thing too. Like it's kind of a you've got macho men on this tribe, you know. You've got Elton Flatley, a fucking wallaby. You've got Guy Leach and Iron Man. You know, Wayne Gardner is very blokey and macho. David Oldfield is a bit macho. Let's be honest. He doesn't come across it when you see him, but David David Oldfield's got some macho to him. So it's it's not like you don't have a bunch of testosterone floating around this camp. You don't have a bunch of Ben Waterworths out there that you can basically just, <laughs> you know, push around like fairy dust. Like this is fucking tough bloke, manly men. So when you've got an SAS guy coming into your turf, like this would be like if Gabrielle Richards was on the women's tribe. Like, it would be like yeah. that whole sort of thing of like, whoa, who's this girl? Like, you know, that, threatening sort of thing. See, so I can see been why. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. That would have been interesting as well, like to see how yeah Gabrielle would have gone on on the all women's like they they would have been. I don't know. Like I'm not a woman, but is that is that sort of a bit of a threatening sort of thing for I women when they speaking on behalf of women? Apparently, I've I've dubbed myself the feminine voice of some of them on the podcast. <laughs> we see how that goes. But like I don't know. I think it is a thing that women do get threatened by someone who, and because I think, I think women to me, it's more of a case of a, of a look thing. Like they get threatened by someone like, wow, she's beautiful. Like, you know, I'm threatened by her. Whereas men, it's more of a, you're stepping on our tough manly stuff side of things. I'm glad we're talking about this because I think it's the same for guys. I don't know about you, Ben, but like, you know, you're, you're a dominant guy as far as what you do. Like, you know, you, you run your podcast stuff, you're ready, but you like to do it your way. Like I'm, I'm a police officer. I, you know, enforce laws. I do it my way. Like you've got to be very authoritative. Like I go on, to, it's the same with guys. You get to a beach and you've got, you know, Zach, like on my, my season, big Zach, like muscles on bloody places that we don't even have places, you know, like the guy's massive. Uh, you you look over at Robbie and, and he's like from a men's mag cover, just like eight pack and all that. Like, it's intimidating because, you know, I'm used to doing things my way, but you automatically know, well, these, they just have that natural, when they have that natural look like that and, yeah. and they're, they're physically a specimen, they, they just demand that without even saying anything, they kind of just demand that presence. And, yeah. and, then, and then other people look to them like they're up on a higher level because, well, geez, they're a specimen, specimen of a man. Like, wow, like th- these guys must be like phenomenal, you know? So it, it is intimidating for a guy. And I, I don't know, like I'm not a female, but I would assume that maybe there's some sense of the same thing with women that 
they see someone like Gabrielle come on, who, like David Oldfield say, is a whole lot of woman, um, that would be intimidating. Yeah, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, it, it goes across all genders, all people, all, all everything. It is a thing that I just, it's human nature. It's kind of, that's our animal mm, instincts, yeah, isn't it? Because that's, that's an animal thing. In the, you know, an animal is threatened by another animal straight away coming in to their, their domain. So I'd, I'd like to see if it's just me and you on an island, then who, who would end up being the <laughs> dominant one? Would it... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel, I mean, you are a cop. You know, I think that you would win that one. I this is the thing. I'm very like I come across one way, but I'm actually quite a passive guy, Matt. Like I'm, you know. I, now, listen, it's now he's trying to make out he's a puppy dog. Yeah, well I am, but oh. I'm also a prick. I'm an asshole. We've gone over this as well. I, I'm I'm a man of many moods. That's I'm a mood ring. Like one minute I'm red, then I'm pink, then I'm gray. I don't. Do you ever have a mood ring, Matt? You don't seem like the mood ring type. No, uh, no mood ring. Do you ever no give mood a mood ring. ring to a girl? Is that how you got Hanan? Is it was it a, is it a mood ring? Just you know, how you doing, baby? Uh, can can I be? I don't even know what that is. It's a, it's like so. It's a, a type of stone or something that like it. I don't know how. It's a body heat thing or something. But they change color, and yeah. basically it's a a thing that like if it's blue, you're feeling melancholy, or if you get like I don't know the exact ones, but it was kind of like you got it from one of those two dollar news agencies, kind of at the counter as you bought something, and you know. <laughs> Everyone had one in high school. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wasn't going around in, uh, in my era, or not that I remember anyway. But I just want so. to go back to my point there where I apparently claimed that the way you met your wife and mother of your children was, hey, baby, like I don't think anyone has ever picked up someone <laughs> successfully by uttering the words, hey, baby. If hey, they baby. have, write us in. I want to meet you. Oh, I would have loved to have seen David Oldfield say, hey, baby, as Gabriel <laughs> was coming in on that outring. He basically said everything else. Why Why not throw that in there as well? Now, back to the game, Ben. Most Fiona's still playing this game. How good is Fiona? Are you on the Fiona bandwagon? I am on the Fiona and Justin bandwagon for one of these subtly brilliant little moments, which is so good that I need to talk about it. Fiona is going out. She's, you know, like, yeah, we're going to do this. But I just love this moment with Justin around the fire where Fiona's basically like, you're thinking, like, she's going all hell, thinking what I am, we're going to do this. And Justin's just like, yeah. And then, <laughs> and, so it's the best thing to do in this. Justin's like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's so good. I don't know why I love it so much. But this plays into Justin Melvy, kind of the mellow man who's going to do whatever it takes to kind of get to the end. Because, again, you made the point before these women were going to band together and vote the man out straight away. Justin Melby's worked his way in here. He's actually walked into a great situation because oh, you've got absolutely. Fiona gunning for Imogen. You've got Kim wanting to leave. You've got people against Fiona. Justin's in a brilliant position here and he just has to do this. But I just love his reaction. He's, yeah, yeah. It, it is good. And look, we Fiona, we don't, because she's trying to do it on the sly as well. She, she's she's like talking to Justin. She's like, oh, so, you know, basically, are we on the same page about who we're voting now? But they don't actually mention names. So no, no. We don't know whether we don't know whether she's talking about Imogen or at this stage they already know that Kim Johnson has basically well, said to the EP, I'm out of here. And that, that's what I read into it, just to yes. jump in there. It's, it's, it's I think, because it's kind of a bit season one-ish where it's kind of like there's not a lot of strategy going on here. And this, no. this is not a thing. Like this actually, there's a lot more strategic talk that you get in this season but to me because this is only very 
short. This is maybe yes. like three or four minutes. And to me, this is they all know Kim's going. And I yep, think that, that what right. the editors have done have tried to kind of tease it a little bit with the throwing in of the, you know, what we want to do, we're doing this. And you kind of get a bit of a throwaway here thing from Imogen who, you know, you kind of are thinking it's going to be Imogen. But from this point, it's it's boom. You know it's yeah. Kim. I think, I, yeah. I think I actually went back and watched this this little part twice because I, and I've actually got my notes here. Like, who is she talking about? And I got that same feeling that they're actually talking about Kim. Not they they try to edit it as if they're talking about Imogen, yeah. but I think at that stage Fiona's just checking. Well, you know, so apparently we've got to you know we've got to vote for for Kim. But is this what we? Are we actually going to be doing this? Or I got that feeling. I'm glad you're on the same page yeah, with me. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think like it's, it's kind of going back to your point about Fiona playing the game. I mean, we're going to get a lot more in the, her next two episodes. She's only in it for a couple more episodes, of course. But I think kind of it's still good to kind of see that in terms of the entertainment factor. Again, it's going to piss me off if I'm out there playing. It's like calm down, like, you know, just take a breath. But at the same time, it's great to watch. But, I mean, we get that into tribal, going to tribal and basically – Dicko knows, everyone knows, because even Dicko, the first question he's to Kim Johnson is, you know, you're struggling. Before we kind of get to the Tribal Council, though, we didn't really much talk about the opening theme when we actually had the, the opening credits before. I know we kind of talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But, like, the theme, kind of the, the background theme and music throughout this is great. And I actually quite like the Tribal Council theme. It's kind of like, it's like a flute, like almost like an ocarina kind of thing if you're a Zelda fan. It's like, do 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 yeah. It, yeah, it has a bit of, oh, it's almost a bit, a bit of like Pirate Master about yeah. it. I don't know. Like, Piccolo it's just or that, something. Yeah, it's something. But um, I, I was actually going to mention that before we get to Tribal Council, though, there's one last thing I've got to mention. I did touch on it before, but I've got this in big writing. I definitely want to make this point. One of the last things we hear Kim say, she said, oh, she's telling Amber, oh, I, I, I don't want to vote for anyone anymore, blah, blah, blah. Can I just say, I want to thank the the one, the only, the legend in Australian Survivor history, Des Quilty. <laughs> Des, can I just say you were the first boot of the Channel Ten version? Can I just say thank? I'm just so glad you stopped the trend of of the first boots, <laughs> either not wanting to vote people or voting for themselves. Can I just say, like, for any for anything other, like you were a great character. You hold the most bloody or equal most confessionals of any first boot in the history of this game in in Australia. You were one of the all-time great villains, Des. But just thank you to the bottom of my heart that you stopped this trend of first boots voting for themselves and not wanting to vote for other people. Thank you, Des. I, I gotta say, um, and I, this is nothing against Lucinda, nothing against Kim, nothing against Joe, nothing against Anastasia, nothing against Shane. That arguably the two greatest first boots in the history of Australian Survivor are yourself and Des, and that's not just me sucking up. In terms of what you bring to the table of being memorable, and again, Joan, memorable. Anastasia had a memorable moment. I mean, she's Shane Gould. She's going to be memorable. I'm not saying they're not memorable. But if I, I guarantee if you went to any Australian Survivor fan and, like, Tell me about the first boots. You remember Dez straight away. Dez with a bullet. You remember Dez. And you do remember you, Matt. Like, you do remember you. And it's probably from your breakdown at, at Tribal Council. Like, that's what people will remember. And it's, I, it's, I'm, gl- I'm glad how you're referring to it as a breakdown. Yeah. Fucking hashtag survivor breakdown. Let's bring that hashtag back. It's been a while. Fucking Lisa. Come on now. Philippine style. But it's... 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, it is, it's a great point you make. And again, when I'm not trying to take away, and that maybe even sounds sexist because I've just pinpointed it's the two men and all the women. Uh, uh, that That's not what I'm trying to do here. But it is going to be refreshing next season to have a first boot. Kim, we, we really have talked about, we love Kim so much more probably than any Australian Survivor fan ever. Lucinda, clearly, we were fans of Lucinda, but... Yeah, we're, we're, it's going to be an exciting time to talk about Des in that episode uh, yeah. next season. Oh, Which, absolutely. We, I absolutely. mean, Des, we loved it. Des is an icon of this game, absolutely icon. But, yeah, the Tribal Council, great theme in the background. One thing that was pointed out to us, and I have to thank Naomi from Season 1 because I'd never noticed this before until she messaged us and said this to us. Dicko sits ridiculously close <laughs> To the contestants. I've never noticed this before. Like, literally, in every shot of Dicko, you can see Fiona's head. He's that close to them. What cracks me up is we talk about things that wouldn't hold up today. That wouldn't hold up today because the whole social distancing. Social distancing, Dicko. Come on, mate. Two metres. Where's your mask? What's going on? No, it's, it's crazy. But I have to say, and again, no disrespect to Lincoln, no disrespect to my beloved season one Whaler's Way, but it's nice to have a semi-entertaining tribal council in Australian Survivor, isn't it? Like, it's not groundbreaking. It's not the greatest. And it goes quick, but it goes quick too. There's not much to it. But it just feels natural. It feels yeah. like a tribal council. It doesn't feel like a bunch of mates around the campfire freezing in their dryer bones. Like, again, yeah. love you, season one. I love you to death. But tribal council, not your strongest point. This <laughs> feels natural. And it's, there's not really a lot to talk here you've got kim basically saying she's struggling fiona you made the point before fiona owns up to it where she's basically you know just tell me to shut up and i will sorry fiona i love you but i don't believe that for a second if amber had to come up to you and told you to shut up you would have told her to go shove it Uh, and you can i'm gonna test this when we get fiona horn on this show i'm gonna tell her to shut up and see what she does and i guarantee you there'll be our first hang up but um yeah there's not a whole lot to say here kim kim goes Dicko holds his vote quite weirdly when he announces the votes. And um, Kim so, Johnson becomes the second consecutive first boot to go and vote herself out. Are you surprised that they they only actually show, like, one vote, prior, like which is Amber? So they, they show Amber voting for Kim. And she actually sort of says, well, I'm, I know you're happy to go home, you know, that you want to go home. So, But they don't then show any of the others. Now... Just want to confirm, we know Kim voted for herself. So did anyone actually get any, did anyone else get any no. votes? It was no. a so, it, yep. so, so all, what, all six votes? Yep. All for Kim. Well, no, all five, sorry, all five, because, um, of course, Kula now have seven. Yeah. No, it was it was all, um, all six. So it was six. It is six. Um, it was six. Each tribe had six members at this point because Ben made it even. So they were six all at this point. So, yeah, it was six. Oh, sorry. Was it, uh, was it Kukula that had only had five? Yeah, they, they had the five before. So, yeah, yeah no, it was um, six votes, straight sets. Bye-bye, Kim. Six love. Game, set, and match. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I don't think we have we, – we kind of eulogized earlier in this episode really with Kim. But what's really interesting here, Matt, you want to – talk about this rankings that we did over in the Oz Network. You want to see how bad this was that Cable and I did this. And I'm kind of sad Cable's not on this now so we can go over this. We had There were 76 players at that time. Benjamin Wynn was number 76. Kim Johnson was number 73. 
There Jeez. were two players in between Ben Wynn and Kim Johnson. Only one, one. Well, actually, Cable brought up another that I vetoed. Cable put up Joan as the second worst player of all time. No, I vetoed no way. Yeah, I no vetoed way. that straight away. He then put up Lucinda. So Lucinda came in at number 75. And I put up Mr. Peter, Mr. Quitter himself, at number 74 before Kim Johnson even got mentioned. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, this, so, this list sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you. You really yeah. have it in for Ben Wynn. There's no way Ben is – you can't – cannot. Well, I'm ve- you're talking about vetoing th- – veto- if you're still putting Ben Wynn as the worst player in his – I'm vetoing that. I'm I, not allowing, I, I will gonna, not allow it. I am going to say that he's the worst male player of all time. Hmm. The, the Kim, you did stump me a bit on the Kim Johnson one. You really did. But uh, to me, it's kind of like the, the Robin David argument. To me, there are only two worst players in Australian Survivor history and they're the first and second boot of this season. That mm. to me is is gospel. I I, well, I stand by my belief. I'm not saying I, when I say gospel, it's not the whole truth. But by I, my calculations in my brain, the first two boots of this season are the first two, the worst players in the history of Australian Survivor. I'll allow I'll allow that. That way you can't. <laughs> oh, say you'll that. allow that. Thank you. So I'll allow that because that way you can't say I'm the worst male. And your your second worst male, Matt. Let's be honest. <laughs> but actually, David Haas, number sixty seven out of seventy six. I'm staring at this. I didn't put him up. Cable did. So you can. Blame Cable for that. Anything else to add on Kim? Again, we, we talked before about her. I feel we've covered her a little bit. but Yeah, look, I think in the end of the day, she she went on there. She obviously expected it to be something else. She gave it a crack. It didn't work out. Um, and she's out first episode. She she clearly, as we know now, that she went to the executive producer and said, I'm, I'm done. Um, at least she got out of there straight away to allow the game to continue forward. So I would have hated to have seen Imogen go first. That would have really hurt this season um, because Imogen turns out to be one of the greats um, of the season and you know one of the greats of Australian Survivor um, in out of all the seasons so far. So you know, in, in the end of the day, it wasn't for her, but I'm glad then she just got out of there and the game continues. Things I think we should talk about this season when we sort of go over who uh, gets voted out um, charity-wise in terms of uh, who their charity was. $5,000, of course, goes to the person's charity. Now, Kim's charity is Merry Makers Australia. I know we kind of went over this a little bit in our first episode, but maybe we can highlight these charities a little bit in each of these episodes. Now, Merry Makers Australia, uh, I'm not familiar with, but uh, looking here on their website... Uh, it doesn't really tell me much. It's, it says Australia's much-loved dance troupe. So a diverse group ranging in age from 6 to 66, most of whom have an intellectual or physical disability, but all of whom refuse to be defeated by the enormous challenges life has dealt them. So this is obviously a, a fairly well-known charity that's been around for quite some time. 15 years later, it's still going strong by the looks of things. So... Uh, that was Kim's charity, so $5,000 went to that. So that was uh, be great to find out sort of how that money went down and kind of what that would was used for. Another thing too I think is important to kind of note is maybe just kind of what they've gone on to since in terms of their uh, celebrity status, I think, kind of this is the thing. And, again, I would argue Kim Johnson is by far the biggest celebrity out uh, of this show absolutely, easily. Yeah. Uh, Dancing with the Stars, she maintained that. She went on to Dancing with the Stars in the U.S., she kind of went on to bigger and better things out there. I'm just looking here who she was partnered with on the US version. Now, Australian version, she was on three seasons. She was partnered with Justin Melvy. She was partnered with Tom Williams and Michael Caton. 
Mr. Kerrigan himself. There you go. But on the US version, Jerry Springer, Joey Fatone, Mark Cuban. Uh, I'm actually just going to read the ones I've heard of here. Donny Osmond. She was with Mr. David Hasselhoff himself. <laughs> David Arquette. Joey Fatone again. And Mr. T. I pity the fool. I pity the fool with Kim Johnson. So that is who she got to dance with. She's now, of course, married uh, to one of her partners, uh, Robert. I'm going to butcher his last name. I think it's Herjavec. Uh They're now married. They were partners on the 20th season of US Celebrity uh, Dancing with the Stars. Sorry. And fun fact, she actually performed at Elton John's 50th birthday party oh, as wow. a dancer. So there you go. Uh, big name, big name now. She She's uh, quite a the biggest name to come out of this show. And Mr. Dyson, shall we break the news right now? Or do you have anything to say about Kim and her post? Uh, she was on Celebrity uh, yeah. Apprentice as well, I want to say, a later season. Not Dicko's season, uh, I believe, on a, on a different season. With Roxy Jenko. <laughs> oh, my God. Was that that was that the Hasselhoff season? No, that was um, the Stephanie Rice season, Peter oh, Everett yeah. season, Dermot Burton season. <laughs> that was that season. But no, Kim Johnson went out. Uh, she was fourth, so she yep. lasted a few spots higher than she did on Australian Survivor. Uh, just her final words. Um, she says she was nervous about coming into the game. Uh, it was tougher than I thought it was. So that's clear that that, that was the case. And that she still says it was an incredible experience and uh, that she wishes Moso all the best. So nice little final words there. So she knows it wasn't for her, but uh, she still wishes her tribe mates well. Now, the news that I want to break right now, Matt Dyson, we are so excited for next week because we can actually utter the words that joining us on Australian Survivor Archives, we found her, we tracked her down, we got her on the show. Miss Big Celebrity herself, Kim Herjavec. Uh, as she is now known, Kim, a.k.a. Kim Johnson. I, I am so pumped for this because I think you and I said if there was one person we couldn't get on this season outside of Mr. Benjamin Wynn and Gabrielle, because we seriously have no idea where they've gone, is probably Kim. And that would be a case of probably wouldn't want to do an interview about a show that she probably barely even remembers she did and wants to forget. But we've got her, Matt. We've got Kim on next week. So I, I am pumped to speak to her. How are you feeling about this? I'm fantastic. I can't, can't wait, but I'm also I'm, a, I'm a sort of a little bit torn because um, I'm almost going to have to call you the Bloodhound here. I mean, I know that's my my nickname, but uh, Ben, like this is all you, mate. You you did the digging around and um, you got her got her on the show. So I have my moments. I have my charm from time it, to time. It's good to see that you're pulling your weight in season two. I know, right? Finally, I'm doing some work. Yeah, I'm not just sitting here <laughs> looking pretty. But I mean, it's also exciting too for the fact that. You know, like you joke about the first boot club and all that sort of stuff, but in all seriousness, like I, I always look at Survivor as, you know, the, the bookends are kind of like the, the ultimate of people who you want to kind of talk to and meet because you've got your winner and you've got your first boot. I think kind of they bookend. You've got your great characters in the middle, of course, but to me it's just kind of either side of it. And it's kind of funny. If I ever played Survivor, I honestly would almost be more honoured to be a first boot than if I finished like seventh. Like, you know, I, I think to me honestly... It'd be kind of fun. But sadly, we're never going to be able to interview all the winners because unfortunately, as we know, Mr. Rob Dixon no longer with us. So we're never going to be able to tick off all the winners. By getting Kim on the show, I feel we're going to tick off all the first boots. You know, we've had Lucinda on. Pretty sure we're going to get Des on. 
pretty sure we're going to get Joan on. People we've already had on other shows. Don't know about that guy from the fifth season. I hear he's a bit of a prick. He probably won't make an appearance. I don't know. Anastasia, I'm pretty sure we'll get on. And Shane Gould, I'm pretty sure we'll get on. So, you know, the fact that this is kind of that one where I was like, oh, you know, we're not going to be able to cover all the first boots, but I we've got her. So here we well, go, Matt. And first boot to first boot, I'm going to be outnumbered here. Well, in saying that too, like, I think when you look, when we started this and we looked at the whole cast, we thought, well, what's the one person that will be, you know, the hardest to get on or simply might just say no was Kim Johnson. Like, that was the one that we thought, well, we might actually get everyone else on this season, but, um, you know, obviously we got to also track some people down, but Kim Johnson we thought would actually be the real struggle to get on. So for you to say, you know, for you to track her down and 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 she's willing to come on the show, like, that's pretty big, man. And you want, to, you want to start off the season great. You want to start off with getting the first boot on because they really set the tone for what's happening in that early part of the game and, and where the game goes on. So it's going to be great to hear what happened in, in the three days she was there, why she struggled, um, you know, and, and if she actually did have a enjoy a, a few moments out there. Let's be honest, Matt. You're the bloodhound of the people. You're the bloodhound of the everyday folk. You know, you're a cop. You you liaise with the the public. You're kind of down with the people. That's who you are. When it comes to the celebs, come to Ben Waterworth, and I'm your man. All right, you give me the celebs. I can't. I'm. I can't argue with that, mate. You 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 pulled the trigger on this one. It takes a celebrity to talk to celebrities. You call me an icon. (laughs) I'm gonna live up to my status. You do have your own business card now, so you're moving up in the world. <laughs> I'm sure you have a business card. Don't cops have business cards? No. Like a calling no. card? Like something like that? Yeah, no? yeah, yeah, that you have to write your own name on. Right, oh, okay. So the, what, the bloody Queensland police can't fork out for a couple of pieces of cardboard off Vistaprint? <laughs> Jesus, Queensland police. Wow. Okay, I'm not saying anything. Great organisation. Thanks for employing Matt. You'd... Thanks for serving the beautiful state of Queensland. We are so excited next week for Kim Johnson, uh, Kim Herzevac, of course. Uh, so tune in for that. In the meantime, Facebook, like us, Twitter, follow us, Instagram. You know the drill. We are thinking of something out there. We're, we're, we're going to get to the bottom of the turd in the toilet. We know that. Uh, we've got our gambles on it right now. Uh, I've got Justin, you've got Guy. So we still haven't come up with the prize of what was going to happen. We haven't, but I just want to say this. This is what cracks me so- that whole green turd incident, I've just had it in my head. I don't know how, what sort of, like, if you're a bit of a, a history buff with films and all that, but there was an actor named Bella Lugosi. Do you know about the original Dracula? Uh, I, I know original ah. Dracula. I don't know about Bella Lugosi, okay. though. Bella Lugosi. And do you know about the filmmaker Ed Wood, the yes. Plan 9 from Outer Space, yep. Yep. worst movie it was rated the worst movie of all time. Well, Bella Lugosi, when he got to the end of his career, he'd stopped. He was like in his eighties or something. He'd stopped working for about five years. He was unfortunately addicted to painkillers or something like that. Um, morphine, I think it was. Must but anyway, this, yeah, this Ed Wood managed to, he made these sort of dodgy films or cheap films, but he managed to get, get a made. It was a, and he managed to, that, there's been a whole, Tim Burton made a whole movie about it called Ed Wood. And yeah, um, Robert Downey Landau, Jr., right? Landau plays um, Johnny Depp plays oh, Ed Johnny Wood Depp. And Johnny right. Depp, yeah, and, and uh, Landau, what's his name? Someone Landau plays um, plays Bella Lugosi. But okay, there's a scene from a movie called Glen or Glenda where he talks about the the big green dragon that sits on his doorstep, and it just reminds me of the big green turd that sits in Dicko's toilet. Honestly, like because. It just cra- I've had it in my head all week. This bloody scene of Bella Lugosi in this movie, this transvestite movie called Glen or Glenda, which was the first ever movie that Edward made, 
And it just, it's been in my head all week. It cracks me up. I've gone the opposite route. Clearly this shows our taste in film. You're gone for like, you know, history, like just dropping knowledge. You should be on the Oz Network or you put me to shame. I've gone for Dumb and Dumber. Jeff Daniels sitting on the toilet fucking hanging out after getting laxative from Jim Carrey while Lauren Holly's banging at the door. Don't use the toilet. The flush isn't working. Oh. <laughs> I'm just shaving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just shaving. Be right out. <laughs> yeah. Then he opens the window and he's got the toilet out the window. Oh, uh, God. Uh, yeah, yeah, so maybe. anyway, bro, that's, what, that's what's been going on in the world of Matt Dyson the last week. A lot of Holly Valance kiss kiss and Bella Lugosi and the scene of the big green dragon that sits on his doorstep. We will come up with some sort of incentive for whoever wins that. Um, we will do that. But, no, we appreciate everybody. Uh, feedback from the first couple of episodes has been great. We appreciate uh, talking with you on social media and everything and look forward to our continued coverage here and Kim Johnson comes back next week. You mentioned Holly Valance. You've caught Holly Valance disease. You also mentioned I've got the fever, Ben. Fever, sorry. Fever. Sorry, fever. Be politically correct, Ben. But, uh, yes, no, you mentioned Paris Hilton before. Now, Matt, that got me thinking. Paris Hilton, as you said, had a song. She actually had more than one. She had a couple. She had a good album. Underrated, as I said earlier. What? Like, it's, it's, it's a while since she's done some music. She's a DJ now. She doesn't do an original. Why not play some Paris freaking Hilton? Well, it was, from two, it was from 2006 too, Ben. Yeah. Holy guacamole, we're going to play Paris Hilton. This is Stars Are Blind by... Paris Hilton. Why do we keep going for the cheesy mid-2000s pop songs on this show? I have no idea what's happening. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. My name is Ben. And in the esteemed words of Justin Melvey, yeah. (laughs) My name's been Matt Dyson, and you know you have made it as a a podcast host when you're playing Paris Hilton. Take it away, Ben. I can hear it now. Okay, guys, finally we meet. Welcome to Vanuatu and welcome to Survivor because the game begins right here. I'm not going to lie to you. The next few weeks are going to be really tough. Amber, what are you taking on to this deserted island? I hate the fact that you asked me. Why is that? Amber. Amber, what are you taking? Mascara. Mascara. Excellent. So, David? Really a big girl. Yeah, we're about to find that out, I'm sure, but get on that side. Thank you. Guys, this is your map. It's not what I was expecting. Okay, enough for the love fest. You gotta go. I was excited when all of the people came out and they got us and it was all beautiful. It was like, oh, this is great. We came in, it was all good fun. And then they left. <laughs> As everyone did, and we were stuck here and it sort of hit me. There's nothing here. With our camping equipment. That's what I didn't realize. I thought they were going to give us water when we were here. I didn't realize we had to find it. No. And I thought they were going to give us a tent too. Yeah, well, so. you got the tent wrong and you got the water wrong. Yeah. So. You got the water? Well, you know what? No, of course, this is the bloody water. Potable. Put in a pot, boil. We're just looking around for Mount Franklin. That's what I was looking for. So here's this ditzy sort of, you know, model-looking chick turning up, and she's going to be totally useless. Obviously, Gab looks fantastic, but was she any use?
Don't all speak at once, guys. I've got to work out how to make fun. Yeah, you better do that quick smart. Coconut's been it, mate. You know? I keep hearing about all these fruits in the, in the forest, mate. Why ain't finding them, mate? For this first challenge, it's a sure bet. You're going to turn around and get wet. It will help if your tribe's got several who are good with a knot. Now, this isn't a fight to the death. But get ready to hold your breath. <gasps> good, I think they've finished. Let me see. Let's have a look. Mosso, that is incorrect. Okay, correct. You have one. I forgot that I get claustrophobic in those masks. Um, I don't see her as being safe for us. Maybe Fiona Hall has actually cast a spell. It's only raining on our island. Is she that good? Who knows? I've never felt so hungry and so, like, such a lack of energy before in my life. How did you cope, Kim? It was the worst night ever. You'll be competing to win this, the immunity idol. <laughs> We've added a reward component. Meet Ben. The tribe pretty quickly realised that um, I've got a fair bit of knowledge and uh, I think they found me to be quite a valuable prize. on your doorstep. Okay, survivors. Play hard, play safe, but play to win. Snoop Dogg! You know I'm hopping with the D-R-E. 